in brightest day, in blackest night. No evil shall escape my sight. Let those who worship evil's might beware my power. Green Lantern's light. Pretty cool, huh? Hi, everybody. I'm Chad Bokelman. I'm Mark Marble. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode 175. That's right. Were you, were you going deep and ominous there? Is that what you were going for? Yeah, might as well. <laughs> it is Villains Month, so it certainly will fit this time around. Spoilers! <laughs> <laughs> That's right, y'all. Um, we are, uh, just like we said, so uh, we got our 21 through 23s done. Uh, of all of the uh, series, uh, various series, um, well, the four main titles anyways, um, and we're just, since there were four titles in the Villains Month uh, related to Green Lantern, we figured, ah, why not? We'll just go ahead and uh, throw all the Villains Month issues into one episode and just get those out of the way. So just to be clear, that is Green Lantern 23.1, 23.2, 23.3, .3, and 23.4. Um this was uh, the Villains Month where they just, rather than focusing on uh, continuation of main stories or uh, character development, just took the month off, basically, and uh, spotlighted, for the most part, single-issue one-shots of all the villains in the DC Universe. Um, kind of tied, tied in with, uh, with Forever Evil uh, and all of that. Um, I don't believe any of our issues had anything to do with Forever Evil. Um, I could be wrong because I didn't read very. I have not read Forever Evil, um, but I don't know. This seemed more like past rather than present, right? Yes, I. It's pretty. I think this was mostly just setting this. I think in a way this was just the the, the new creative team's approach to um, or using this as a jumping off point for kind of laying the groundwork probably for for villains that were gonna major Green Lantern villains that past, present, and soon to, and future. And laying the groundwork for them to be a, a major force probably in the next, I would assume the next year or so. We know, we absolutely know, uh, well, Relic clearly we know is uh, <laughs> has come and gone at this point by the time people listen to this. But it, but we also know one of the other three is going to be rearing his head again in April. But the other two, I'm sure we're going to, before we know it, there'll be probably major, ish, major factors in, in at least one of the Green Lantern titles, if not all of them. Yeah, I gotcha. Well, um, so rather than go in the regular order uh, of uh, a point one, point two, point three, uh, point four, what we're gonna do is since next episode—I mean, it's not, no big deal—we can tell you. Uh, next episode, we'll be covering Lights Out. So since Relic is the main uh, story uh, or one of the main characters in uh, in Lights Out, what we're gonna do is we're gonna save Relic for last. And uh, and uh, that way, it's, it's, the end of the episode can kind of serve as a uh, an entry point into the next one. Now, now, for you regular listeners who you know wait a week between episodes and listen to each new one as it comes out, uh, obviously it, it won't really matter. But there are some people who kind of binge listen in order. So for those people, you know, relic will the reviewing relic last will serve as a nice lead uh, lead into the next episode. So. Uh, I guess we Rochambeaued it, and uh, uh, Mark decided he gets re Relic. So uh, 
with uh, keeping in mind that Relic's last, I'm, I'm going to take Mongol. This is uh, ep- uh, issue 23.2, uh, the Mongol number one uh, uh, issue. Um, and we'll start there, and then uh, just, uh, just uh, what, Mark, you're taking Sinestro next, then I'll do Black Hand, and you're doing uh, Relic, right? Sounds good. All right, sounds good. Awesome. So, uh, Mongol number one slash Green Lantern 23.2. Uh, we open, quote, far from here at a confrontation. Um, there, I mean, it's, it's Mongol. Uh, it doesn't say specifically in this issue, but there are a bunch of ships surrounding War World. I mean, come on, it can't be anything else but War World. Um, they're just telling them that you're you're in violation of our airspace slash our trade agreement slash, you know, all that other space-faring stuff. You're, you're, you're ordered to stand down. You're ordered to... Uh, you're ordered to stand down, pre- prepare to be boarded, uh, that type of thing. Suddenly, the admiral of this fleet that's uh, hovering around War World gets teleported... And into War World, um, uh, he is greeted by all types of violence and a what looks like a Star Wars probe droid, if I'm not mistaken. But one that, <laughs> that was the one on Hoth, right? Yeah, it kind of does look like an Imperial probe droid, actually. <laughs> That's right. Um, he this droid snatches uh, snatches the admiral up, uh, takes him up the the chain and. Starts, you know, kind of giving him some information. Um, they're they're looking to someone for a decision. Uh, the, the 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 battlers are looking to someone for a decision. The admiral thinks they're looking at him. Then he turns around. No, of course they're not looking at you. And we see a thumbs down. And then one of the warriors kills another one uh, with a spear through under the jaw and through the top of the head. And we the page turn reveal gives us Mongol, uh, Lord Mongol, as he's called. And he, he, um, he, he, this, this whole issue is like a taste in his philosophy. So I'll read like smatterings of what you, what he says throughout this review, just so you can get an idea of his philosophy. And one of the first things he said, or the first things he, he says is survival through strength, justice through might, let all know this truth. Um, so, uh, Mongol comes down uh, and addresses the Admiral and says, you know, I understand you demanded my surrender um, you know, I, I, you know, being a military professional, and, and, and I'm just going to read a little bit here, uh, you must understand that proper procedures need to be adhered to. The situation has to be carefully assessed and decisions determined. So he's basically giving the Admiral a rundown of how you properly handle military situations. You know, as, ha, have you properly assessed War World and uh, all of our um, offensive and defensive capabilities? Obviously he hasn't, so so Mongol proceeds to give him a history in both War World and himself. Um, so immediately we flash back to um, young Mongol in the tree looking at a cat-like creature killing a rat-like creature, and he understands that you know he learns a life lesson in this moment that the strong have ever devoured the weak. That's nature's way. The fewer still beating souls there are, the more, the more of us is for the, the more there is for those of us who remain among the living. Um, so he talks about how he went back to his home, 
killed his younger brother who was I, I guess in the form in the process of being born in this gestation chamber type thing you know they sent him off young mongol off to various institutions and it turned out that the military was the only way he could learn anything about uh discipline and everything he came back and just killed his family then the there was a war and he led his people against it. He won. And then he introduces the Admiral to the Black Mercies and uh, tells them uh, kind of – I mean he doesn't really give it away. But he does tell them basically their purpose. Um, basically the, the plants – in the plant's first generation, the enthralled host becomes imprisoned within a fantasy of a dream existence. Um and then he says, this struck me a bit as a bit too benign and, to, and end result, so I propagated a new breed which instills not but extreme dread. So, now I haven't read everything. Now this, never mind, I'll, I'll save that commentary for later. So then he says, uh, you know, the, the skirt, you know, he, he gives this admiral all these, all these, uh, all of these uh, teachings, whatever. And then he turns his attention to a hollow display of all the ships of this Admiral's fleet uh, in orbit above Warworld. When all of a sudden Warworld goes all Death Star, but from every angle and not just one, and destroys every single ship in the vicinity, the entire fleet with one fell swoop, then, dis then directs a particle beam towards the earth to towards the moon in orbit of the planet in which the admiral is and his fleet is from the moon splits in two crashes to the planet destroying nearly everything and then mongols robots and armory or whatever come down and destroy everyone who's left and then mongol takes the people and i'm just going to read these four panels here the fittest, most intelligent, and manageable will be drafted into the humanoid division of my military. Those exhibiting attitude problems will be assigned to the gladiatorial ranks. Of those that remain, most will be pressed into either domestic or custodial service, becoming the becoming the raw material for medical research is the fate which awaits the rest. And we see a heart on a table. And then, you see the, the dispatching of... Uh, Ships and uh, oversized space tractors and all this stuff that's harvesting the raw material of the planet, and then comes the destruction of the planet itself. And this is this seems to be all within a matter of what would you say, Mark, an hour, two hours? It's probably it happens very rapidly the whole thing, right? Because obviously Mongol, you know, was pretty well in control, even though he was kind of giving the impression of not being in control, right? But you know, you know, everything was kind of like it was all a game. You know, basically, he was just playing a game with him, just to right make him think the other the admiral was in control when all along he was, and right. And then uh, so so the admiral says, you know, everything destroyed. He's uh, obviously shattered. He said, you know, there was a point, a chance where you I'm, you might have been allowed to join my empire relatively intact. But you went and demanded my surrender. You know, this this type of an issue is hard to recap without kind of reading directly from it a little bit. Then he opens the door and shows him his collection, quote, collection of the unforgivably arrogant, 
which is this seemingly endless hallway filled to almost capacity with spikes with which Mongol has mounted the heads of, I guess, people who had been in a similar situation of as this admiral to demand Mongol surrender. So then he goes and rips off the admiral's head with his bare hands and then mounts it on the spike and says, hey, you know, I need you to uh, collect the remainder of the admiral, bring him down for medical research. And by the way, my armor needs some freshening up because, you know, I kind of got some blood on it. Uh, and then later on in his command center, uh, he's moving on to the next target and his uh, computer system tells him, hey, we're approaching a sector this, a sector house of the formidable Green Lantern Corps. And Mongol says, yes, they're always interesting to toy with. Um, and this is written by Jim Starlin with art by Howard Porter and colors by Hi-Fi. So, despite the long good, and good detailed win recap, what did you think? When I first read it, it didn't do anything for me. It really didn't. I, I mean, part. I mean, I don't know. Partially because, in all honesty, I, and this is part of trying to break down this issue, and again, trying to figure out how it really fits into everything we we've, we've seen in before about Mongol, that. I kind of always liked the father more than the son. The son to me never was overly interesting. Uh, he was moderately interesting during, you know, when he was trying to take over the Sinestro Corps and everything. Um, but for the most part, I have never found the son to be that interesting. I guess it'd be this is it's kind of hard. I mean, in a way, they're making this sound like it, this should be the father, not the son, mm -hmm. um, because obviously uh, this Mongol's father was not you know he wasn't a warrior he wasn't anything you know he was more of a he well, I can't say he wasn't shouldn't say he wasn't anything but he was he was very unmongol like let's put it that way right. so so in a way they're setting it up to be the father which is a better character but yet when Sinestro and Hal helped deactivate this uh, the the yellow power battery on Korrigor um when they're transporting the battery back to Oa, there's at least two panels where you kind of see Mongol's body like underneath, mm -hmm. and that and that would have been Mong that would have been the second that would have been Mongol Junior, if you will, because he was the one who was trapped in who Sinestro trapped in the yellow power battery during Blackest Night. Right. So, which I which I actually it's one of those interesting points that I actually really appreciated the fact that it was some would have been something so easy to go over when they were doing that story arc to begin New Fifty Two Green Lantern. Uh, title that it would have been so easy to completely forget by almost anybody that oh even Johns who, who we know on occasion will kind of like contradict himself about things it would have been so easy to forget that oh yeah Mongol was trapped in that battery so what are you going to do when you turn when you turn it off but they actually didn't so I kind of always respected the fact that they that was a plot point that they kind of in a way you know they dealt with so you so the best you could assume is that they took him and he was in a science cell but that doesn't really mesh with this because this is this doesn't really seem to, you know, he doesn't seem to have the relationship with the, with the Sinestro Corps and everything. So moving beside the, beyond that, so those are something blocks for me trying to get back into Mongol. It read better the second time. I liked the way how you know he how he toyed with the Admiral, how all these, you know, how he really thought he was in control, and he's kind of he kind of throws you know the the fu to him like you know if you just hadn't been so arrogant, none of this you know, all. You, your fate would have been so much different if you just would have been, you didn't, you know, 
so cocky. Yeah. <laughs> Which, of course, we, there's no way of knowing if that's the case. Knowing Mongol, it probably wouldn't have been the case. But, but it makes it makes for an in, it makes for an interesting story. Um, I'm not entirely sure I like the design of Mongol. It looks like again they're trying to split the difference in a way between the father and the son, because it seemed like. The, but, um, if they go, if they, if they follow through and make it the father, I think I'll be much more interested when he reappears down the line. But as a one shot, it was it was interesting. I to me, it was probably honestly the least interesting to me of the four. But it was but it was a little better when I when I reread it for for this episode. It was a little better than when I first read it. Right. So yeah, I agree with that. Um, I suppose that um, the the Mongol under the that had interactions with the Sinestro Corps. Could still be this one's son. Yes, it could have been. Just, they could. They. You're. You're right. Actually, you were correct. They could. They could. They could retcon it. So you know, basically, Mongol never. Never died. Yeah. And the father never died. And then, which would make sense because so many, because pretty much almost all the crises or major events of the previous DC universe never took place, supposedly. So that would make sense that he would. He wouldn't have died then. Now. But, is a little less reviewy than it is uh, a commentary, but do you think uh, we, we say that Mongol is a Superman villain or a Green Lantern villain? And I don't mean uh, in origin. I mean at this point, if someone were to say Mongol, which banner would you put him under? I would say now he's a Green Lantern villain. Okay. And it's interesting that you mentioned that because when I was reading when I was reading this when I was reading this um, originally and even when I was rereading it, I it reminded me of you know between him and obviously now that the new Fifty Two Cyborg Superman's kind of shot this all to hell, but before the new Fifty Two kind of you know kind of screwed up Cyborg Superman's origins, that both Mongol and and uh, Cyborg Superman who who obviously have lo- all ties together from Reign of the Superman when they destroyed Coast City that that they both clearly started out as as Superman villains but as time went on they really became more and more Green Lantern villains Superman I means cyborg Superman hung around for a while and kind of was a villain for both especially when he was when he was in the uh, apocalypse like the, the parademon armor combo, combo that when he was in the orange armor but once once he came back, you know, once he came back, kind of looking like Superman again. Once when he showed up during the Revenge of the Green Lanterns, yeah. um, that from that point on, he pretty much was a was a Green Lantern villain. So I, but I think Mongol now, I think he's qualifies as a as a Green Lantern villain more, which is probably why it was pretty easy for if, if they. I mean, who knows? Who knows if you know the, if the creative teams wanted Mongol one, two, three, and they said, "Yeah, we def- that was their idea right off the bat," or whether you know DC wanted somebody to do Mongol, and then it was a matter of who was you know who he should fall under. But either way, I think it makes perfect sense for him to be a Green Lantern villain at this point. And obviously, whichever Mongol it is has, if it's the father, especially, even though now we the coast city supposedly wasn't destroyed, but still, in a way, we we kind of we can wink, wink at it, kind of knowing that Hal and Mongol would have. Uh, Really, truly have a long history together, even if the history has changed. Right. Um. So, storytelling-wise, um, all of this, 
all, all four of these issues are basically past histories of of these cores, or I mean, uh, of these uh, of these villains. So, were you were you okay with that, with it being history rather than whereas you know some of these some of these uh, uh, villains month issues, a lot of them, as a matter of fact, were tied into Forever Evil. I think, well, the closest one to being, I guess, happening right now is probably Black Hand, since that clearly happens at the, after the events of um, Wrath of the of the First Lantern, um, and even even um, and parts of Sinestro too. Obviously, hot happened after that too because you deal with the uh, the destruction of Korrigor. But I'm overall no, I think. I, for at least certainly for Mongol and for Relic, I think they both work well having it be a kind of like a prologue or bringing you up to date with these characters. And this is our in in this continuity, this is how these characters have you know this is who this character is and how he got to where he is. You may know you know at least well in Mongol's case you would know the name, but now we're telling you this is a new this is what you need to know about Mongol now in the new 52 mm-hmm. with relic. It was just kind of a primer trying to give you a little more information on why he is who he is and doing what he's doing. So I didn't have, I didn't have any issue with it really. It was, you kind of, you kind of knew that going in. I know some people were kind of getting confused by, because of the Sinestro one. It's like, a, I thought he was, you know, he was off the table. What is he doing? And it's like, even though the solicitations made it pretty clear that it was, it was a past tense story for Sinestro. So, but did you did you have a problem with it, or did you? No, I mean I never really bought into the whole Villains Month thing. Anyways, I was happy about it in the fact that we were getting one shots essentially, which is what I've been wanting. I you know can we can we stop with the incredibly long story arcs and just get some one shots for a while, maybe some two issue story arcs for a little while, some character focus, which. Is what we got, but it was all on the villains, which was kind of part of this crossover. You know, it's almost like you, even in giving what giving you what you wanted, you couldn't escape, you know, this marketing crap. So, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I know. I understand. Um, what did you think of the uh, slight retcon to the Black Mercies? And that's, a, and that's yet another thing that's interesting, again, trying to reconcile this between the father and the son. Because obviously we know um, the Black Mercies is really, you know, they are really tied into the second Mongol. Mm-hmm. And that didn't bother me that much. I mean, I, I, I did notice that, you know, basically the way they're kind of explaining the origin, like almost like the first gen versus the second gen of, of the plants, you know, with experimenting genetically on them and everything it was um i thought it, i mean it kind of it kind of fits i didn't have a i didn't have a major issue with it myself um yeah i, I didn't think it was a major problem for me anyway did you buy that war world was this powerful it doesn't i think so it doesn't really i mean we've seen so many different variations of war world and all in i i don't it didn't strike me as being unreal, unrealistic, especially again if you're dealing with, if you're believing this is Mongol the first, not Mongol the second. I think his capabilities were a little, were were greater. And I don't, yeah, it, I would say, I would, 
I'd buy into it. I don't. I didn't see it. Like I don't think it could be that way. No, I, I didn't have that problem with it when I read it. it to me, it's just you kind of know it's War World, so you kind of assume that it's yeah you know, that it's, it's capable of quite a bit, especially if when you have the time to put it together, as opposed to kind of like hodgepodging and trying to put it together, which has happened happened in many storylines, and then attempt to rebuild War World, a fully functional War World, and maybe that's what the capacity always could, you know ultimately could have been. Pretty freaking brutal, though. Yeah, and it was clever. His plan was clever, and that's just—he's—he's he's a charming guy. Come on. <laughs> you know, I don't—I don't think it's a plan. I think—I think he does this throughout the universe. I think this is how it goes in each and every situation. It's not like this—this this plan is tailored to a specific planet. It seems like this is—this is like a general battle plan that can work in any situation. Destroy the fleet, destroy the military, just mount a crushing blow to the planet that they cannot recover from in any amount of time. While everyone's confused, go in and eradicate the population, and whoever's left standing, do what he does to, 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 the, to the survivors, like I read earlier. He'll incorporate them into the military. You know, If they don't want to work, kill them. You know, and then uh, once that's done, harvest the resources, let nothing go to waste, and then destroy the planet. Like it's not like tailored to a specific planet. That would work almost anywhere. I, I get yeah, the feeling I, he does this at a lot of places. Oh, I agree. I and I mean a plan more like maybe I should have said that more. More like it's his, his mo. Kind of like this is the way. This is kind of the way he handles all. Nine times out of ten, let's say he'll handle every situation. Mm-hmm. I think he's certainly capable of, of tailoring it a little more specifically for this or that. But, but this is you know he's because he probably again from a military point of view he kind of probably knows how most of these people think, mm-hmm. give or take. And ha- so the approach, so he's going to be approached probably. He probably knows the majority of the time the different ways people are going to approach him, and they're probably going to approach him clearly, as, as we saw with all the heads on the spikes. Clearly, the majority of people approach him in a similar fashion, so so he deals with them in a similar fashion. So you think Mongol has like a room of various artwork that he studies to know, get to know the planet's culture? And do you think that the glowing red eyes are like hereditary, like he's like – an eighth generation removed from Thrawn, <laughs> and that the the appearance of the Imperial probe droid is a hint of that. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> that, that, that might be too. That might be too much. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe in episode seven we'll find out. Awesome. <laughs> um. Although it would be kind of cool to, like, you know, in the background of some future sci-fi movie, you know, even something as big as Star Wars to, like, go by, and then you see, like, in the background, oh, wow, is is that is that Apocalypse? <laughs> or is that War World? <laughs> like, <laughs> that'd be fun. Well, I, I, always thought it would, I always thought it would be cool, in, in whether it was a Star Wars movie or some movie, that, like, kind of, like, whether it's like in an, in an armory or just as as in like someone's collection of trophies, as in battle trophies, souvenirs from from battles, that somewhere in there, besides being like lightsabers and things like that, that even was just like a like a little cameo that you kind of just kind of see like a Green Lantern ring or something being like in in the in the in the trophy case, and you don't have to say a word, doesn't even have to be on screen very long, just just to see if see how many people pick up on it, like a little Easter egg. Yeah, that, that would that would kind of be cool. Yeah, that would be cool. Um. 
I don't know. I mean, I feel like I'm being lazy by not trying to point out specific. Is there much to to point out here? In all honesty, looking, I mean, as all these issues as a whole, I don't think. I honestly think probably Black Hand is the one issue that I think that, that there's a lot of different things you can poke holes in, and I don't mean as in problems necessarily that you can analyze, that you could really put it under the microscope and come up with more things to discuss than probably in any of the others. Even Relic, I think for the most part, when we get to it, it's, it's relatively straightforward, and I think that's what all these issues are. I think many, you know, some issues are really perfect for like delving into and analyzing, you know ad nauseum almost but but this i don't think mongol was one and i don't necessarily think uh some of the others are black hand probably is the one that's because it's the it's the biggest in a way it's it's a change to the to her it's a relatively interesting change to her character that we just saw like not that long ago so the change the changes kind of stand out as opposed to you know as we'll get into Sinestro in a few mo- few moments, the Sinestro one is basically a kind of a rehashing of his origin, just from a from someone else's kind of warped point of view or someone's biased point of view. Yeah. And you know, and and Relic is just kind of like a basic prologue and in, into what his universe was like and what he kind of was like before we get to Lights Out. So yeah, I think they truly are for the most part. Other than at this point, other than I think Black Hand, they certainly are truly one shots where they just kind of. You read them, you get some information out of it, but it's not stuff that I don't think we're going to be thinking about a great amount of time, putting a lot of effort or a great amount of time rethinking about the events in these issues, at least until the characters become relevant again. Well, you know, props to the creative team for having a uh, Star Wars and Star Trek reference in a single double-page spread, because I don't know of any other major sci-fi place that teleports quite like that (laughs) and uh i don't know of any other probe droid that that could possibly be i think even down to the amount of antennas on the top of it is the is basically right (laughs) well i mean it it definitely based based on the legs it definitely looks like the probe droid especially right after he after he first gets transported right when it's like floating above all the all the warriors fighting amongst themselves that definitely looks that definitely looks like it so mm. it's probably one of those little homage, little homages, I should say. So it was it was clever, but all right. Um, so anything else at all? Anything at all you want to talk about? About Mongol? I don't think so. Hmm? I mean, I don't know if there's anything else that. I mean, obviously they're setting the stage for Mongol to come back. I would assume later in 2014 to be a a thorn and in, in Hal side, mm-hmm. um, if not the core side, I would assume it's probably would be in a green. It's hard to tell. I mean, they're all they're all you know, in technically the Green Lantern, you know, one shots, not core one shots or anything. But doesn't mean that the villain won't show up in the other books, since we know Cor- Mongol was more of a villain in core for the most part when he sh- during his last run. But I mean, I. It'd be, it would be good to see Mongol back, depending, again, how they make him, how they write him, whether they write him more as the father than the son, or give him at least more of the characteristics of the father. So I would look I would look forward to that. Um, even when these issues were solicited, that's the one that I probably had the least interest in, to be honest with you. Uh, well, 
I'm wondering if this is not more the father rather than the son, not just because of the things we mentioned, but if you notice at the very bottom of the, the credits at the very last page there, Mongol created by Len Wein and Jim Starlin, the writer of this issue, Jim Starlin. That's true. I mean, why why wouldn't the creator of the character go with the version he knows best, the one he created? That's true. And maybe they also may, and that could have just been another op, another decision internally too that they just said, you know, if we're gonna if we're gonna if we're gonna redo all this and we're gonna bring Mongol back and it's the new Fifty Two and we really other than a few little little panels, uh, small pieces of panels that we really haven't seen Mongol at all since we started over. Then what? Then we've read, <laughs> we kind of like we've retconned so much other stuff. Why not just make this and go back to the to the better version of the character? <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Alright, so uh Sinestro. Sinestro which I did I did enjoy Sinestro, but as as you pointed out, Sinestro was another issue in which most of the most of the events of the issue take place in the past. That the issue which is twenty three point four otherwise known as Sinestro number one, soon to be not the only Sinestro number one that we begin with Lissa Drac, otherwise known as the f- former keeper of the Book of Parallax, among her other jobs. That she was in charge, as we know, of keeping the entire history of Sinestro in his core. And she's floating around the ruins of Korrigor, looking for Sinestro. Kind of surprised, too, in a way that Sinestro just didn't take her out when he had the chance, from, since he, she basically betrayed him. But he... She is looking for looking for Sinestro, and she also has an issue with her memory, which kind of plays, which we get more of an explanation about later in the issue. We flash back to the version of, or a, the new version of Sinestro's origin, which is kind of a retelling of the origin that first appeared a long time ago, actually, back in 1999, which was in the secret origins of supervillains. It was an 80-page giant. It was a one-shot. And that's where we first basically, I believe, got the retelling of this origin, or the first telling of this origin of Sinestro, which was he was working when he was still an archaeologist. And while he was working on one of his digs, but lo and behold, a wounded, dying Green Lantern crashes to him, and he's being chased by, surprisingly enough, or not, a weaponer of cord. And this Green Lantern is dying, or in the process of dying, but not quite there yet, and he's begging for Sinestro to take the ring to defend, more or less, essentially to defend the ring because he knows the weapon of Quart is dying to get the ring. So he's hoping that Sinestro will be able to use the ring to defend him and or the ring itself long enough for uh, either help to come or for him to or just to keep essentially keep play keep keep away from. Uh, the weapon of cord with for the Green Lantern ring itself. So the ring comes to Sinestro. You see Sinestro in the Green Lantern uniform, just without the symbol, since he's still technically a rookie. You have a bunch of panels for Sinestro fighting uh, the weapon of cord. Who is his problem was he was obsessed with the ring so much that he didn't really pay attention to the warrior. And he underestimated the warrior that he was fighting, which, of course, as we know, Sinestro was pretty formidable, even just based on his will alone. And Sinestro was able to basically 
take advantage of this obsession with the ring the weaponer has and is able to impale him essentially with uh th- through the through the midsection with this construct i don't it's hard to try to really figure out what what it is i'm not sure if it's supposed to be anything in particular but but it impales the weapon record. He's kaput. Now the wounded Green Lantern, who is, who is only has a few minutes left. He is pretty much asking Sinestro to get get the ring back so the ring can keep him alive until help comes. And Sinestro has to make a decision. And the other point of the issue, the entire issue, is being narrated by Lissa Drax. So her, so the, the opinions and the way it's being spun is all of Lissa Drax's version. So she mentioned that one of Sinestro's greatest qualities is his honesty, but also his courage. And she said he basically he had to use both of those qualities that day in the decision that he made, which was essentially to let that Green Lantern die. Because Sinestro makes the decision that he is better suited to use the ring, and he has to be honest enough to admit that, and he is, and that's why he does not give the ring back to the dying Green Lantern, that he makes the decision that he's better suited for this and that he knows it, so he's got to he's got to basically not give the ring back to the dying Green Lantern. So the Green Lantern dies. Lissa Drac continues to – it flashes back to her as she continues to tell the story, <clears throat> but her memory is starting to fade, and again, we get more of an explanation of why. Or not so much necessarily why, but the imp- the importance of that as the issue plays out. Then we see Sinestro back on Korrigor. We see Abin Sur's first appearance. Abin Sur comes to tell him that you know, basically retrieve him to take him to Owa for training. You see Sinestro dealing with the Guardians for the first time, and Lissa Drac points out that becoming a Green Lantern did not make him a different man; it just made him a fully realized one. You see Sinestro and Abin Sur, <coughs> excuse me, fighting side by side, and Sinestro is able to use the ring in ways that impress even even Abin Sur. And Sinestro kind of just revels in this, realizing that you know this is his destiny. This is what he was meant to do. We see Abin Sur introducing Aaron, his sister, to Sinestro, who of course becomes a great love of his life and his and his wife. It's interesting reading the dialogue or the the narration, I should say, from uh, Lissa because, as we saw previously, that Abin Abin was very important to Sinestro, but so was Aaron, and Aaron being so important to his moral compass, basically, she was his moral compass, and Lissa keeps pointing out throughout the issue how that's just not a good thing, that she thinks that he basically has helped keep Sinestro weak. As opposed to giving him, you know, great inner strength and keeping him centered. That Lissa Drac believes that Aaron Sir basically was one of his major flaws. His love or his relationship with Aaron was a major flaw. <clears throat> we see Sinestro use Sinestro becomes uses his ring to do what we've seen him do before in various forms, which is basically Make a police state, though it doesn't start out necessarily that way, but eventually it ends up being a police state where his will keeps everything running smoothly, everything in order. But basically he runs it out of fear even though he may not be consciously aware of that initially, though he does seemingly come to accept that. 
we see Sinestro. <clears throat> Sinestro actually is first behind the scenes, helping to organize this, this basically this new world order. And we see the leader of the planet, who very quickly becomes no longer the leader as people realize who who really is the power behind the throne. And then he becomes the throne, which is Sinestro. <clears throat> Aaron tries to center him. Aaron tries to tell him to rein it in, basically, that you're not really doing what you should be doing. He doesn't really listen. They talk about their daughter, Sorenik, who Aaron convinces him to – Sinestro to put up for adoption, to give to foster parents just because of – there are so many insurgents and anti an anti-Sinestro element on the planet now that that was the only way to really ensure that she was going to be safe. But in the process, as Alyssa points out, basically she was de- being de- she was she Aaron was denying Sinestro his legacy, his heir. We have Abin. We have um, we get to the point where Abin Sir dies, and we see Hal introduced. Hal would basically take the role as a close friend to Sinestro, which we know of before. We see a little bit of their interaction with Sinestro, in a way, paying some, throwing some small bones to Hal about how he's a good student and he's got a, and you're going to learn a lot with me. But you know, Hal already is picking up on the fact that he kind of has an attitude, asking him like, "Are you always such a jerk?" And then finally, we see the big, the pivotal moment in Sinestro's Green Lantern career when. Hal having come to Korrigor to see how you know to see how Sinestro is running everything, and then Hal the one who realizes how wrong this is because they're not the only reason that these you know everything is running smoothly and everything is as organized as it is is because they're out of fear that they're afraid of you, Sinestro. That's why they're doing this. And it's the, and at that moment, according to this version of the origin, that's when Aaron kind of turns against. Sinestro, I guess in a way, kind of the way Padme turned against Anakin, the way Obi-Wan was able to make her see the light about how where Anakin had gone, the same way Hal's able to make Aaron see the light about Sinestro. Alyssa Drack, of course, mentions in her narration how it's Hal, not Sinestro, ironically enough, that's, you know, the traitor. That he would be uh, one of the greatest traitors in Green Lantern history. Blaming Hal, not Sinestro, just like she calls Sinestro. Uh, excuse me, <clears throat> calls Hal a, a coward because he's smart enough to alert the Guardians and the Green Lantern Corps of what Sinestro is doing on Korrigor. So Sinestro is apprehended by the Guardians. He gets banished to Cord, where of course. He eventually gets the yellow ring, forges the Sinestro core, and then we get then we kind of get a we we kind of get a rehash a little bit of the uh, Wrath of the First Lantern, the destruction of Korrigor, Sinestro killing the Guardians, and then we find out one of the biggest issues with Lissa Drac, which is the fact that her memory that now that she's been separated from the Book of Parallax, and according to her, the Book of Parallax has been destroyed. That she no longer – that her memory of everything that was in the Book of Parallax is starting to fade. But yet that has to be maintained. The history of Sinestro has to be maintained. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm, I need a drink in a second. Um, 
but we find out what she's doing in in the meantime to basically the only thing she can do since she has no book of parallax to record these things but yet they must be recorded is she's basically recording the book of parallax and the history of sinestro written on she's writing it onto her body she's using her flesh as the book and she, she mentions that she knows sinestro's past and she can see his future and he may have disappeared, but he must return. And the main reason we find out why is because even though Korrigor has been destroyed, there are Korrigor survivors. The Korrigorians are still alive, and that that's and his people basically still need Sinestro, and that's why he needs to come back. And that is basically the one shot, and I, I failed to mention that Matt Kint, or Kint wrote it, and Dale Egersham was the artist and the colorist was Andrew Dollhouse and that is your Sinestro one shot have you seen the Leonardo DiCaprio Tobey Maguire um, Great Gatsby movie Gatsby? Yes. yes yes did you notice anything about this particular book then Which you better point me to it, then I'll tell you if it may, if I. It's not because now that I'm flipping through it quick trying to find it, I'm never gonna find it. The borders around the flashbacks to Semestro's past. I noticed. I mean, I I, no, I noticed that it's similar, and I noticed that obviously the parallax symbols in there quite quite often. Yeah. Um, but I didn't place it anywhere. Oh, oh, you mean like the gate? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Now that I see that, yes. Yeah. Okay. It's in the opening and the ending credits of that movie. Yeah, that is very similar, actually. Yeah, very, very similar. Um, I'm wondering if the keyhole is meant to be um, meant to be almost like a lock, and if the um, little rungs on the left and right side are meant to be clasps, and if this is supposed to be the border of the Book of Parallax. That's what I assume, yes. I assume. I assume that it's supposed to be the border of the book, of Par- especially because the parallax symbol is basically in all the corners. And the chain that's on the side? Yes. Okay. That's what I would assume, too, that this was, yes, probably part of the, part of the chain probably that even attached it to Alyssa Drac and then the symbols. Yep. Yeah. That's what that, that's what I kind of thought, too. Which I thought was a nice touch from an art, from a stylistic point of view. At, the, at least it, it certainly helped uh, book set off the uh, the flashbacks from the you know the bookends of current continuity of what's going on with uh, Lissa Drac right well that's 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 the first thing I wanted to bring up but not the first thing in the issue I had a problem with the vi- <laughs> the, the cover <laughs> the cover um, I have no problem with the art the Wording of Sinestro, it looks like someone did it with MS Paint. <laughs> yeah, that's not, I don't really, yeah, that doesn't really seem like the Sinestro font. I assume Sinestro does have a font, but I, I, like, since almost everyone has their own font these days. But, yeah, it is kind of weird the way they did it. It looks like someone got the spray can icon, clicked yellow. And did a dot here, and then okay, I need to do a couple. I need to do a series of dots to make an S. All right, series of dots to make an A. Okay, here we go. <laughs> like it just, 
it's exactly what it looks like, and it looks awful. Um, but whatever. Otherwise, I thought the art was pretty good. Um, I don't know if the flashback scenarios could have been helped by having um, them full page rather than squished into this border, but I get why they did the border thing. Um, one thing I wanted to bring up was, so did, b before like the current generation of Green Lanterns, did Lanterns not use their rings to fly around the universe? Because how many uh, Lanterns die every time they get into a spaceship? <laughs> I'm not sure. Maybe. See, now it, nowadays it would make sense. After after Light Saturday, it would make sense why they would want to take a ship. Ex we'll take a taxi, thanks. Yeah, ex <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That, that makes sense. But it's like, you know. They relied on the ring so long that they forgot to they forgot how to properly fly a um, a spaceship. So, or maybe they were just encouraged not you know maybe they were in just who knows maybe that was part of the training not to be so so dependent on your ring. I still kind of I kind of remember I think it was it was Donna with Kyle trying to make the point of that you shouldn't be so dependent on your ring. Maybe what happens. Maybe, but the point I'm trying to make is maybe maybe Abin and this lantern didn't die because you know someone attacked and wrecked the ship. Maybe they just forgot how to fly and broke <laughs> broke something critical on re-entry. <laughs> so, I don't know. Um, one thing you mentioned that I wasn't sure of, when Sinestro gets his ring on the title page, his symbol in the center, you said it's right. solid white? Yeah. Yours isn't? Mm -mm. Yours has a symbol? My Yeah, I have a digital copy. And mine has a symbol. Um, both when, the Green Lantern symbol. Yes, both when he gets the ring on, when uh, that Korgar, the war, the weaponer is saying what, and he says has a different idea. It's very clearly the symbol. And then, when's the next time you can see it? Um, when Sinestro... Oh, when it, and Courage, that panel of Courage, right after... Yeah. Right. He has, yeah, both of mine, in the hard copy, he does not have the symbol. In my in my digital so. copy, he has the symbols. Interesting. Yep. So I'm wondering which is which. Like, is is did the digital copy get finalized before the printed? And that's and that was just you know before officially went to press. That was something they noticed and then whited out or what? Hmm. It is. I mean, it it is interesting. I mean. Because technically, based on what we learn now, he really shouldn't have the symbol. Right. Because he just – so, but yeah, I don't know. But that's – but definitely there's no Green Lantern symbol on his chest in those two panels on my hard copy anyway. Are his eyes glowing green? In which panel? In any of them. Yeah, his eyes glow green when he's uh, right, right when he's killing the the weaponer until you, right before you turn the page and you see it, him being impaled. Right. The, the previous couple of pan panel, you see his eye, his eyes glow green. Okay. So, it, that's interesting, though. Yeah. Um. And I try not to. I mean, I probably glossed a little too much over her, maybe Lissa Drax dialogue, even though I was her narration. Though I was trying not to, but I'm kind of hard going back, kind of hard going back and forth, trying to basically tell. Go through what actually is happening in the book, and then trying to remember and, and deal with the, some of the relevant narration that she throws in. Because 
but I did think it was important right off the bat to to, <laughs> to mention the fact that basically this whole her, this whole origin of Sinestro was being told being told excuse me from her biased and not exactly objective point of view that she's that she is just rah 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 Sinestro and she's gonna you know spin everything so Hal Jordan's a traitor not Sinestro for misusing the ring right true um, one thing. I, I wouldn't say you glossed over it because, you know, I, you'd have to read word for word. Um, but one thing it's it, important to mention is what Avin says while uh, Thal is visiting him on uh, – oh, what was what was your home planet? Um, what was Avin and Aaron's home planet? Uh, Ungara? Yes. Okay. I'm, imagine, I'm, I'm assuming that's what this this planet is. Oh, about the other cores. Yeah. About the other cores. Yes, yes. Yeah. So, so Avin says, I think it's essential to build bonds with other lanterns. He's talking about other Green Lanterns, you know, just you know, commu- you know, communicating and you know, spending time together, type of thing. But it's, you know, it's kind of poetic. Uh, I think it's essential to build bonds with other lanterns. Speaking of diversity, I often wonder if the lanterns wouldn't be better served if we represented more than just willpower. What if we developed other rings representing other strengths, faith, love, and then he kind of trails off. So that was that's kind of cool. Kind of kind of it is it is cool. I actually when I when I when I reread this for for our recording, I I had I don't mean. It did strike me because I don't necessarily know if I remembered it the first time or if it, if I really paid much attention to it the first time. But right. it isn't. But it is important. I mean, it actually does kind of fall into the, in a way, you know, Avinsar was kind of like the, you know, the trailblazer here for the other Lantern Corps, just as far as being willing to accept it. And obviously, we know he's basically one of the founders of the Indigo tribe. So. And obviously discovering, you know, the the prophecy of the blackest night and everything else. So he kind of knew what was coming even before a lot of other people did. Uh, I'm skipping over a few pages here, but when Hal gets to uh, Korgar, Arin is clearly standing next to to Sinestro. Um, I guess they could play it that they were never introduced. But remember in Blackest Night when the corpse of Abin and Arin showed up, and Hal was like Arin, like like he had no idea that Sine- that Abin had a sister or anything like that. Hmm. So um, but but here you know they're standing in this thing you know within ten feet of each other. I, I mean I su- like I said I suppose that you know they were never introduced and you know. Be, being that they're this, of the same skin color and everything or whatever, and that she's uh, Sinestro's wife, maybe Hal could have just made the assumption that she's a Korrigarian and, you know, whatever, and not never known that it was Avin's sister. But I just thought it was worth pointing out that I, rem- I remember when the sh- – because a, sh- a Black Lantern, quote-unquote, small little spacecraft crashed in the middle of Hal and a few other Lanterns. And opened up, and inside was Black Lantern Abin and Arin. So, and I remember Hal being like, "Who? You know that that type of type of thing." I'd have to go back and get the issue, and, and determine whether or not for sure he actually knew who it was or not. But I'm, you know, without going digging through my back issues, I'm pretty sure he had no idea who it was. Yeah, I mean, if I mean. 
now that you're saying that, I do. I mean, I do. I mean, I vaguely, as far as the details go, remember when that happened in Blacks this night. But it wouldn't also surprise me if, again, this is just an example. Of, I mean, in a way, that was it's a kind of <clears throat> kind of an obscure point mm-hmm. of at of, 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 obscure point of Blackest Night. That maybe it wouldn't surprise me that whoever was that the no, if something that when they were doing this issue, they just completely glossed over. And now is a contradiction. So I guess. Yeah. Th- thanks to thanks to the thanks to the beauty of the new 52, you're gonna say, well, you know, this just kind of this kind of counts now since it's that slight retcon that doesn't really affect you know the major events or anything. Yeah, I wonder I, I, if I remember right, it was in one of the Green Lantern issues, not in a Blackest Night mini or anything like that. Right. Uh, I think I, right yeah. after right after Sinestro's fight with Mongol. I'm pretty sure after all that was done, all of a sudden, like you know. Uh, Black Lantern started showing up, and one of them was Abin and Arin. So, was was it then? For some reason, I thought it was when they were with when he was with Carol. No, because I think it was right after, because both Sinestro and and Hal were there. Oh, I, know, I thought Hal was there too, but I thought that was that. I thought it was. I thought it was the issue when Sinestro and Carol were fighting, and Hal shows up, and that's when the first three. <clears throat> They they basically first start putting together the new guardians, if you will. That that's I thought I thought they showed up there, but right after right after Sinestro killed or imprisoned Mongol. No, I thought it was earlier. Hmm. But but it, but it, it's it's probably close. We'll have to go back and take a look. Yeah. All right. Um. Let's see. You know they 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 keep the Animator universe of being banished to Quard. And uh, getting a ring. I'm trying to figure out what other stuff they did. They they kept the story of uh, well they didn't keep it so much as retcon uh, or add to the story a little bit. Um, I think <sighs> what? Because remember when remember when in the beginning of the new fifty two that. That uh, group of Korgarians were trapped by the Yellow Lanterns, and Sinestro and Hal were imprisoned with them for a little bit. And you know, you ran into Sinestro's old partner or whatever. Yes. And you know, they they told the story of that child suicide bomber. Right, the one that helped take Aaron, sir. Right. Right, but I don't think I don't think Aaron died in that explosion, or we weren't told Aaron died in that explosion in that story. So they add it. They add that here. I think that's an addition. I don't. I don't think. I don't think Aaron's death was part of that story. The 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 story doesn't change. You know, there was still a child suicide bomber. But they added the whole uh, uh, Aaron is Aaron died in that explosion thing. Um. I'm trying to figure out what else was retcon. They never show the, okay, so they never show I think I think you have a point with the whole um it being uh it being her perception of of Sinestro's history rather than Sinestro a feeling from Sinestro or she's somehow psychically linked to him or you know whatever the explanation you could possibly give it may be. But um, they never show in this book Sinestro in the uh, Parallax getup. 
No, though she alludes to it, but she doesn't. Right, but she she doesn't know. So. Well, I thought. She, hold on. No, okay. She never says anything. No, she doesn't. No, she just says that he disappeared, and she mentions the book of Parallax, but she doesn't. Tie, I thought. I thought it for a second that she mentioned that he had become Parallax, but no, she doesn't. Uh. Um, and one one other piece of criticism I want to give it is um. The very last page, where she's burning the words onto her body, in the background, an entire building, or two or three, or several, still completely intact. The planet exploded. The entire planet was dealt such a devastating and heinous blow... That it shattered into a billion pieces and exploded with such force that it pushed those pieces out from center. Not only did the planet die, the core was disrupted and destroyed, the atmosphere was shattered, everything would have been obliterated, there'd be nothing left but rock. (laughs) There would not be a building with windows still intact, let alone a building at all. There'd be nothing. (laughs) Stop putting cities and crap in the background to show that it's a destroyed planet because nothing would have survived. (laughs) Now, unless we find out that that's something that was put there after the destruction of (laughs) Korogar. Maybe it's a plot point that we don't know about yet, Chad. (laughs) I doubt it because this. Ship, I doubt it too, but I'm just playing devil's advocate. <laughs> because this ship is has Korgarians in it, d- exploring the wreckage of Korgar, going, the stories are true. Korgar's gone. Right. Well, I didn't say it was necessarily a core. It was a Korgorian structure. I mean, something that the Korgorians themselves put a, put you know had rebuilt the structure. Yeah. I'm just saying that it's possible that maybe, maybe it serves another purpose. Maybe. I might. It probably doesn't. It probably was exactly what you're saying. It probably was a was a <laughs> poorly thought out design. Because I remember there like being what a few issues ago, backpacks and pieces, statues, right? Yeah, statues yeah, and stuff statues. floating around. Uh, <laughs> Do you guys have any idea how much force it takes to destroy a planet in that fashion? There'd be nothing left. <laughs> Oh, okay. But you guys say that a billion times. Oh, one other thing I wanted to mention. This, like, cosmic space cloud junk that somehow forms a person that uh, Sinestro and uh, Abin are battling in that one page is awesome. <laughs> yeah, that was that was a pretty nice panel. I want to see a story. I don't know what that thing is. Forget the Sinestro one-shot. I want to see the story behind this encounter right here. What is this The Galactic galactic Golem. We want the one-shot. I want to see what the hell that is. What happened. Came from how just putting some construct inside it and pushing outwards worked. I I, I just want to – because it looks like this thing is composed of stars. (laughs) It's ridiculous. It was impressive. Um, I like the art um, in the spaces where it had room to breathe. In other words, not not just 
the panels that or the pages that were um, that weren't in these borders, but in the panels within the borders where it wasn't crowded, like um, when Sinestro takes charge of the city, um, you know, and he's standing there on the podium with that that uh, politician standing in the background with his head down. Right, un- right under that, there's a there's a picture of uh, Sinestro flying. That panel looks cool. The picture, the close-up of Sinestro's face, where uh, Aaron says, "Please, you got to stop." That looks cool. Yes. B- panels like that, where there's room to breathe, those are awesome-looking panels. When it, when there's too much going on, or people are too far in the background, um, or there's too much shadow, I don't like it. But when there's room to breathe, I think the art really comes to life. I thought the art overall was pretty good. Um, I agree. I think they were. I think just by the nature of the structure that they, they that they chose, yes, there was going to be a lot of cramming in since there's so many panels in a lot of these pages mm-hmm. to try to get you basically the whole, re, you know, this version of version of Sinestro's origin to. But, and I I do like the art overall. I think I think the way Hal is drawn is kind of hit or miss, on some of these panels. Mm-hmm. That sometimes he looks sometimes he looks good, but his body movements seem awkward to me. Mm-hmm. Hal, he seems he seems kind of awkward. Um, even when they first introduce Hal, when he and Sinestro are fighting, and and right when he's kind of Hal's lecturing him on the like on on the balcony or whatever about uh the, you know the this isn't, what, is, this isn't what Green Lanterns are. We conquer fear. You know, we don't cause it. That it just it just seems like his body movements are a little awkward, the way he's drawn. Mm-hmm. But overall, this you know Sinestro looks pretty good. Um, the Guardians look good. Mm-hmm. I don't know so much about Abin. Abin sort of kind of looks a little wonky too. Lissa Drac looked really cool. I think Lissa Drac is definitely drawn well. I'm I'm under the impression that Lissa Drac is, and I know we talked about this in the the Green Lantern Corps episode, uh, and you have no interest or history with it. But I'm under the impression that Lisa, for those of you listening who know what I'm referring to, that Lysa Drax is of the same race and planet that um, Shadow Lass from the Legion of Superheroes is from. Um, obviously, Shadow Lass is in the future. The far future, but I, she, the way she looks, the color of her skin, the way she dresses, even, it all looks like Shadow Last to me. So I, I, for those of you listening who know about Legion, I don't remember if they ever told us what sector um, Lysa is from or what her race is, even, like her her species. I have no idea. Um, if they have, I've forgotten. I don't know. But maybe someone can, someone out there can look at uh, look it up and find it for us. But I'm, I mean, she the way she looks. I mean, even even the style, in the panel where Sinestro has the the Sinestro core behind him, the way she's dressed right there, that's almost exactly a sh- one of the versions of Shadow Lass's costume. I mean, minus she's from, minus the she's from. Ta- go ahead. She's from Talik Four. Who, Lysa? Lysa. And Shadow Lass apparently is from Talek 8. Okay. 
Okay, so yeah, there, I mean, it's possible that this one species uh, colonized a bunch of planets in their their solar system or something. So, the okay, so they they have to be related then, at least species wise. Yeah, just reading this, whether it's accurate or not, it says one of the three. Uh, Lissa Drac, except she was from Talek Four, one of the three inhabitable worlds, worlds in the Talokian star system in Sector Thirty Five Hundred. That uh, and they they list with Lydia Malor, Larissa Malor, and Shadow Lasts, and they were and those three were from Talok Eight, and um, and Mikhail Tomas, who was from Talok Three. They don't know and how she became a member of the core. I don't think it's specifically listed. Are you on Wikipedia? I'm going from Wikipedia right now. Is, that was the first is, thing to pop. Is Mikhail uh, highlighted where you can click it? Yes. I th- yes. I, moment I, yeah, I think he's Starman, the blue guy with the star yes, in his he chest. Is. Okay. Yes. Yeah, he is. Okay. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So they. So they are all of the same race. Uh, if I remember my my Legion history right, because uh, Dream Girl, Shadowlass, and uh, um, Dawnstar are my favorite Legionnaires. Um. I have the first appearance of Shadowlass. I think she was an ambassador. I can't remember for sure if she was royalty. So it's, you know, again, another shot in the dark, but it's possible maybe Lysa is royalty. I don't know. Um, Whatever. Um, That's total spitballing. It has nothing to do with this issue, so moving on. Um, Is there anything else that you wanted to – I mean – when I when I when I read this, I was a little upset, not be at the story itself, but remember Jeff said that we were going to be getting a like Sinestro secret origin. I do remember something like that, yes. But we've heard there were a lot of things we were told we were going to get from I, Jeff. We never did. <laughs> I know, I know, but this seems like our cheap replacement. You know what I mean? Kind of. I'm not saying the story's you know, terrible. I'm just saying that it, it sounds bad, but you know, if, if Jeff was at the helm of this, it would have been better. Type of I do. I do agree. Which of course, which was the next point I was going to bring up is that at the time when you read this, when this issue first came out and you read it, it kind of seemed like an odd, it kind of, you know, it kind of seemed out of, kind of odd that they would even bring Sinestro back onto the table because he was supposed to be off the table, even though he technically wasn't. It didn't take place in current continuity, other than the Lissa Drac part. Everything else is in the past. It kind of seemed odd. Why bring Sinestro back now when he was when basically he wasn't going to be uh, able to be used or touched for a while? But of course, by the time we're recording this, now it's already it's not it's not really a spoiler because by the time this gets uploaded, it's going to be who knows how long after the news was announced that now we know that in April, that Sinestro, the ongoing series, will, will begin. So now this this issue makes a lot more sense, basically, kind of as a uh, once again as a prologue for that series. So we're kind of have an idea just by based on this issue. Mm-hmm. Exactly, kind of where we think that you know that that book is going to start off with 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 Sinestro, you know, kind of being lost, kind of needing needing direction. Then he's going to find, you know, he's going to eventually find out that his people are some of his people are still alive, which is going to motivate, you know, which is going to motivate him again, and how it ties into him and the Sinestro Corps because the Sinestro Corps is supposed to be part of that book. We just don't know exactly how major role and how and how early on. 
But now we know that this is kind of this kind of sets the stage for that. And again, going back to the point that you made about John's about it, he had even if he had written this one shot that it would have probably it, this book was good, but it would have been better if John's had written it. It is interesting again for the fact that you know that he is not going to be writing the Sinestro Corps book, which is kind of interesting because if there was probably one book that you would would have taken to the bank that if they were going to introduce that Jeff Johns would still write that it was going to be the Sinestro book. But even though Eaglesham is going to stay on art, it's going to be Cullen Bunn who's going to be the writer on this new book that starts in, in April. So again, as I, as I mentioned, I think on Facebook and I've mentioned in a few other places and just talking to people, it's, I think it's also very indicative probably of where Jeff Johns is right now in the company either completely by choice or not by choice as far as being able to write monthly books because I find it – personally, I just find it – of all characters that he's written and he's written – even people that don't like the way Jeff Johns either ended his run or people who just – when we know, like we talked about before at times on the show, there are some people that just hate Jeff Johns regardless of you know period across the board. Why don't we give him his due for the good you know good things that he did for, for, the, for the brand, for the franchise? But it's be hard for anybody with any kind of objectivity to argue that the one character that Jeff Johns got more than anybody else was Sinestro. So if anybody was going to write Sinestro, you would think he that it should be Jeff Johns and he would want to write that book. So I find it difficult to believe this is entirely by choice that he doesn't get this book and he seems to be basically being losing all his monthly books. To focus on either you know working behind the scenes for DC, maybe trying to keep things come uh, come up with a, a bigger blueprint for in general, but also for major events that he seems to be concentrating on writing the major events, and which might be good, might, might be a good thing, might be a bad thing that he's not involved in any monthlies. But this 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 is one that just would have screamed that he should have been on on this book. I mean, even forget about Aquaman, even though we know he's off that book now. That if he had the opportunity to write Sinestro, that should have been a book, boom, boom, boom. You think he would have just grabbed – if he could only hold on to one monthly book and he was not doing Green Lantern anymore, you think he would want Sinestro just for the amount of depth and background and interest in the character that he's you know created and added to the mythos over over his the course of his run. You would think that would have been the character he would have wanted to – to give up the least, especially when he did take him off the table. You know, he was being taken off the table for a reason. And first it was because we know obviously now we also know that he's showing up in Forever Evil, still as Parallax. So he hasn't freed Parallax yet. Yeah. And Forever Evil. But so he did have a plan for Sinestro, but but he may very well have had other plans for Nest for Sinestro because there have been rumors about a Sinestro core on or a Sinestro ongoing for a while now, there was no confirmation. There was never a denial about it. It kind of was an acknowledgement that yeah, it's something we're you know we're kind of planning. But this the actual announcement of this just kind of came out of the blue. That it, considering it's you know a couple of months from now it starts, that you would think that maybe very well they could have been planning this for a while. Maybe they were always planning it after Forever Evil. But maybe Jeff Johns originally was going to do the book, and now that he's being taken off one way for one reason or another being taken off basically his monthlies that now it's got to go to somebody else so but but now at least we know this one shot like makes a little more sense because it was kind of like setting the stage for the series I think. yeah um is there anything else you wanted to talk about in this issue 
not off the top of my head. If something comes back up, I'll I'll mention it as you wrap up. But I think I think we dealt a lot. And this was this was another issue that I thought there was at least some meat, you know, to 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 chew on in this issue. Um, especially because like since it is a one-sided view of Sinestro's origin, like we talked about, it isn't like the Watcher telling the story. This is. This is Lissa Drac, who is a dog in the fight, and is always going to spin Sinestro as the good guy and everybody else to be the bad guy. But I did find it. Int- I did. I found her spin about, you know, basically, you know, the, the how, the honesty and the and the courage, you know, Sinestro's greatest qualities, basically, supposedly, that that led him basically to, you know, not give the ring back to the, <laughs> to the dying Green Lantern. I thought that was an, I, it was an interesting spin. And I guess, from, you know, looking at it from that point of view, I guess it, it you can't say it doesn't make sense, but it is kind of, it, it is a good example of uh, the, uh, what I told you was true from a certain point of view kind of <laughs> approach to life again. Yeah, it's true. Um, so, Black Hand? Yes. Okay. Okay, so Green Lantern 23.3, Black Hand number one. Uh, We open in Coast City, California, where a couple of the guys are uh, putting a uh, a box coffin. Uh, I wouldn't really call it a coffin since it's going to get burned up. So a cheap box uh, with a body in it into a a furnace so it can be cremated. the, one of the guys is talking about how it kind of bothers him. It's he was think, he's thinking about the fact that all of the like eighty percent of their business comes from the asylum. So like this furnace has burnt almost exclusively a bunch of evil people, and doesn't that ever get to you? Type of a thing. Um, they head out, and uh, they they head out of the of the building, and uh, they're carrying the ashes to this pit in the back where I guess they just dump all the ashes. They dump it in there. A black ring comes falling out of the sky, drops into this pit of ashes, sinks down in there, and then you hear the, you know, the atypical Blackest Night kind of flush or whatever the, the, the fly sound it's supposed to represent is. And a body comes forming out of the ashes and reaches toward them, towards them, and it's black hand minus one of his hands. And he's obviously confused and disoriented, and he's uh, he he grabs his uh, he grabs his hand, um, picks it up, attaches it. He goes wandering through the building. He sees the sign for the Hand Brothers Mortuary, and he's like, "Yeah, I, I remember, I remember kind of, I remember that." And then two cops come in, and they're like, "Hey, sir, you need to stay back." And uh, you know, William uh, Blackhand is is all disoriented, so he walks towards him, and he walks towards them, and they get nervous, and like, "Are those tasers? They yes. they look like handguns." Yeah, he gets, they, they, yeah, they, ta- they they taser him, yeah. Okay, so they tase him, he falls down, um, and then he wakes up in the jail, and his cellmate is like, I think something's going on outside, I heard gunshots, it sounds like a war out there, blah, 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 all the superheroes are gone, um, he keeps at, you know, William Blackhand keeps asking for quiet, and he sees a, 
a roach on the floor and he kills it. Uh, and then he stares at it and brings it back back to life and he smiles. So we got a zombie roach now. Um, and then uh, he gets a couple more zombie roaches. The zombie roaches make a zombie mouse. And then eventually a zombie police officer shows up uh, and the cellmate starts freaking out and and Black Hand's like, hey, can you go shut him up? Because I wanted it to be quiet. I keep asking him to be quiet. He's not being quiet. So the zombie cop goes and kills the guy, the zombie, uh, the, the cellmate, and then the cellmate comes over as a zombie. And then they open Black Hand's uh, jail, jail cell. They go outside. Everything in Coast City is on fire. Like, I don't see an inch of this place that's not on fire. People are freaking out and running all over the place, and there's chaos everywhere. And Black Hand's reaction is like, this is lovely. Did I do it? <laughs> um, and starts thinking about rings, and he starts stumbling around through the city. Every person he passes who's dead show revives. Um, the cops kind of try and cut him off. Apparently, there's zombie training preparedness now for the Coast City <laughs> uh, police force because the, the sergeant <laughs> shouts... Uh, all right, boys, you thought it was a joke when we spent that week training up for a zombie attack. Nobody's la laughing now. You know what to do. Headshots and major joints take them apart. Um, I mean, I guess it makes sense. You know, you live in Coast City, which is best, basically the epicenter of Blackest Night, which to what degree it happened in the New 52 is still unclear, but it still happened. So when your city is the is ground zero for like a gigantic zombie invasion – it's kind of hard not to prepare yourself for that to happen again, I guess. Um, so it makes sense, but it's still kind of funny. Um, so they start tearing him apart. Uh, William doesn't like that. So he finds one of the alive cops, senses that he was recently vaccinated, and because a vaccine is essentially dead cells, William revives those dead cells, which then kill this cop, this cop dies, one of his buddies check on him, and now William's got a zo some zombies behind the line, and cops killing cop, you know, zombie cops killing alive cops, and then the other zombies going after the other alive cops, and then they go, then he goes into Shady Vale, which is the cemetery for Coast City, or one of them, walks up to Martin Jordan's headstone, he, at this point he's still fairly disoriented, he recognizes something, feels something there. Then he touches Martin Jordan's uh, headstone and gets a flashback and suddenly remembers everything. Hal Jordan, all of his greens and all the different colors and how death always wins. I'm death. I'm black. And, uh, and then he says, you're right. This is no way to hold a conversation. Why don't you come up and join me? And raises Martin Jordan's corpse. Uh, tells him, no, your son's not here. Um, in the process of talking to Martin Jordan, he rips off his hand, the one he picked up earlier, and throws it on the ground. Zombie Martin Jordan rips off his own hand, gives it to William Hand, who then attaches it to his own arm. Basically, what this is, is how Black Hand is going to kill Hal Jordan... Not just kill him and, you know, make him hurt and all this stuff, but he's going to do it with, quote, his father's own hand. 
And then he says in the very last page, which is a single-page spread, uh, let's go find you someone to eat while all the graves around them are ripping up and everyone's coming up thriller music video style. Um, <laughs> and then end. Now, I have a question that has kind of has nothing to do with this. Does this have anything to do with Forever Evil? Like, is there a part somewhere in Forever Evil where Black Hand is just in Coast City running around with a shit ton of zombies? As far as I know, not yet. All, the only thing I'm, I'm reading the, the actual series, but none of the tie-ins, and I do not believe there's even been a panel of that. If there was, it was obscure. I could have glossed over it because sometimes on first reading I can do stuff like that, unfortunately. But I don't believe so. I don't believe he's been he's factored into forever evil yet and neither has mongol right no because uh, i at this point y'all i have read lights out but i have not read anything beyond lights out maybe a couple issues here and there um so i don't know if in the the current issues of any of the green lantern tiles if mongol has shown up there either so you're telling me no and black hand is still not played a point in there so i just want to want you guys to remember that we'll come back to that later um so what did you what did you think of the issue? This issue is really interesting because I did really like this issue. It's just, I but I'm still yet not entirely sure if I like this version of Black Hand because they obviously have played. I mean, they they played around with him a little bit. What he can do, what he can't do. Um, I didn't. I'm. I liked it more at the end when he remembered who he was again. The whole. I uh, I have amnesia, but I know what I'm doing. That kind of, and of course we still have no explanation for why he's why he's alive. Mm-hmm. Um, though I do I do like I did like the little dialogue or the little narration more than dialogue because um, we really don't know who's narrating it. That about uh, <laughs> William Hand born died reborn died re reborn died. <laughs> Say what you like about Black Hand, death fetish aside, the man's a survivor. I thought that was I always I thought that was pretty clever. It'd be interesting to know who supposedly was you know narrating it. Um, <clears throat> I thought it was interesting. I guess it was an interesting change in, in the status quo. I would like to know how he was able to basically, and at some point I guess I'm assuming we'll find out how he could kind of like reconstitute himself or someone reconstitute him after what happened in Wrath of the First Lantern. I thought it was clever. I thought it was clever with the fact that basically he kind of keeps keeps switching hands. <laughs> you know, I mean, he doesn't switch that many hands in this issue, but 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 they touch on the fact that you know he's basically had a lot of hands, and but none of them have been quite right essentially until he got Martin Martin Jordans. So I thought that was I thought that was kind of clever. Mm-hmm. You know, and I guess the, I th- I think the timing was quite was interesting. I don't know for the better or for the the worst that we just i mean we we just saw a black hand not that long ago you know supposedly buy buy the farm and be off the table as far as because it didn't seem like a way to bring him back anytime soon and first lantern wrapped up and then here we and boom 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 here we go again and and here you know and now we have now he's back all of a sudden and but i like black hand he's an interesting villain so i'm not complaining about that i just thought it was kind of again you must just we have to assume they have relatively big plans for him in the near future, or else they probably wouldn't have bothered bringing him back, even for one shot, as soon as they did. Yeah. 
I enjoyed it. I mean, the art was a little, the art was odd, but based on since, his, but since what kind of character that he is, the, the kind of like horror book kind of way of writing of drawing the book, I thought kind of worked for him, especially like with the black lips and everything else, and and the way the, the zombies looked. I mean, I thought it was very horror comic like, in the way it was drawn. Oh, we should probably say uh, Charles Soule, writer. Alberto Ponticelli, penciler, Stefano Lan, Lan, Landini, Landini. Uh, inker, and yes, Landini. Uh, Danny Vasso, colorist. Or is that a G? No, it looks like a Vasso. No, Danny or Danny. 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 Okay. Uh, Danny Vasso, colorist. Okay. All right, go ahead. Sorry. I forgot to say that. No, it's okay. Um, I figured you'd remember. That's the only reason why I didn't say anything. <laughs> uh, it's. I, I thought it was. It's probably. It's probably my second favorite of of these four. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think black. What did you think? Yeah, it, we were talking off air. Yeah, uh, black Anne was my second favorite of of them as well. Um, not really for any particular reason. As a matter of fact, I was a little upset that they they he did the whole Martin Jordan thing because um, I thought we had already dealt with that. Like I can't remember was it I can't remember if it was War of the Green Lanterns or Wrath of the First Lantern or Rise of the Third Army or Blackest Night or Brightest Day or one of them. I remember we were confronted with you know something about. Um, uh, it was in the dead zone, so it must have been Wrath of the First Lantern, uh, where you know he talked to his dad and everything, and put it all behind him and everything. So, if it's not a big deal anymore, and we've dealt with it and moved on, then why are we back to the whole Martin Jordan thing? I don't know. I I'm not saying like I was upset by anything. I was just when it happened, I was just like, eh. I, like. You know, almost like uh, spaghetti and meatballs type of thing. Like you're in the cafeteria. Oh, I'll, I'll take it, but you know, you'd prefer a Philly cheesesteak or something in that moment. You know, something like that. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm trying to make a, a comparison here that, it, that it's just escaping me at the moment. But you know, like ah, I could see having that now, and it's okay, and it'll work. But I'd prefer something else. I, I I don't know what else I would prefer here. I don't know what my comic Philly cheesesteak equivalent would be in this moment. Um, you know, maybe revealing he can somehow talk to Necron or, you know, whatever it may be. I don't know. Maybe uh, Scar is still around. Uh, I mean, I don't know. Um, some, something crazy, but... It, It'll work. I get why they did it. Um, maybe it'll play into future stories. I don't know. Uh, but it was okay. Um, I, I'm a little... A little confused, too, about his power set. How he's suddenly able to raise a bunch of people from the dead himself. Um, but then again, I've been confused about that since Rise of the Third Army. So, I mean, he was able to do that then, remember? Yes. So, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how he's able to do it, but 
you know, it's it's, but it seems to be though that they set it up a little bit that that he's slowly building this power. Like he kills the roach and brings the roach back to life. And bringing that one back to life gives him a little bit of power. With that little bit of power, he kills another. He gains some power. With that little bit more power, he brings a rat back to life. It seems like a slow progression. Like, he's building it. You know, slow but fast. Like, he's starting small and working his way bigger, but he's doing it at a rapid pace until he has enough energy to raise a corpse from outside of a dead, you know, someone who actually can do something. And then, you know, the more dead he has, has around him, the more powerful he gets type of thing. Right. So it's, that's what it seems like to me. I don't know if you got the same impression or not, but that's that's the kind of vibe I got from from the whole you know, roach rat thing. It also was, for Black Hand, in a way, kind of like, almost like thinking outside the box for him in the, in, in the, from the point of view that at least he's, he's problem-solving. <laughs> He had a problem, and he was like, "What am I? Get? You know, he was trapped, and at that point, he he either couldn't do everything that he wanted to do, or he did, he wasn't entirely sure what he could do or what he couldn't do. And he kind of the building blocks of getting back to who he was, just the way he did the roach. And it's like, it's like keep going, get something bigger. And it's like keep coming back and coming back and coming back, and then you get the cop, and then and it was just kind of funny with his with the, with the prisoner in the cell next door. It's just the fact that who is just really annoying, and it's like. <laughs> Just shut up. <laughs> right. Well, I, th- I think they also give you part of it there at the beginning when he first shows up. Uh, um, because if you remember uh, Green Lantern 42, William was always different. Like he he preferred everything quiet and everything because it says right here, raised in a mortuary, killed and stuffed his, the family dog, preferred it that way. So I'm wondering if when he smiles when he brings the roach back to life, he's not smiling, you know, I brought the roach back to life, I have my power. It's he's making the world the way he wants it. Like there's there, there's no malice or anything when he's trying when, – when he kills people. It's just he's creating the world he wants to live in type of thing. It does make sense. Yeah. Maybe Charles Soule is listening out there somewhere and can tell us. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I like and I like the way when he was sleeping in his prison cell that he has his arms crossed like he's dead, right? Or, or like or like he's the Undertaker waiting to set up in a match. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, that that was that was a nice touch. It was it was a good it was a really it was a really enjoyable enjoyable issue. And the thing with him raising Martin Jordan, you kind of in a way you kind of knew that was always going to happen because they because they keep. <laughs> They kept almost getting to that point over and over again. I mean, even we we saw it at, at the basically in the in the the annual, which was the beginning of Wrath of the First, really of, of the uh, rise of the Third Army, that that he was this close to raising Martin Jordan then before when Sinestro and Hal were about to defeat him before, until the Guardian showed up and made things worse as usual, yeah. <laughs> at least lately as usual. So I thought I thought it was creative the way they used the. Cop across the line who had just been vaccinated. Yes, that was very clever, and that's something else. It's an example of using his a power set or using his powers at least in a in a in a different way. That, that was very that was that was very clever the way he did that, it, and the fact that it was one of the cops that tasered him just made it even better. <laughs> yeah. Um, I like that 
that kill shots worked. That was cool. Yes. The the way they you know they like these aren't these aren't black lanterns. Um, you know they right. When when they took them out by by killing their heads and everything, that that worked. That was cool. I mean, I, granted, he had a big crowd of dead people around him, so they didn't get all of them. But the ones they did get and you know get good, I guess, it worked. So that's cool. Um, everything else, like the Martin Jordan stuff, he it, there's like three three pages of him talking to him. There's not really much said there. It's the, the the whole oh shit moment of those three pages is just the fact that it's Martin Jordan. So, um, yeah, that's I mean that's that's really all I have to say. Is there is there anything you wanted to say about this? I mean, I, I think again, guys, these these issues, while there is you know content obviously in them. They're they they don't seem to be telling anything that Mark and I can be like oh you think they're going to be playing on that in the next issue or whatever because there's there's and I don't even know if the the writers know when they did these there's no telling when this is going to come back into play correct so we have no idea what to put we can only comment on what's in the story itself and right now all we really have is the visuals i mean i say when you said you're not sure you know who who's narrating at the beginning i just think it's editor notes type of thing almost like when um what was it uh green lantern 22 when they were doing the the power sets you know uh green willpower you know that type of thing i think i think those were just more extensive editor notes at the beginning rather than someone talking. Could very well be. So, I mean, maybe some speculation that could be done is where did the ring come from? Yes, that's, that's, that's true too, because technically speaking, Hal had his ring. Right. So. Where did the ring come from? If it's always been around, why is it just now coming to to, to Black Hand? I, 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 I have no speculation whatsoever. I I don't know. Because this mortuary is in Coast City. And William supposedly, quote-unquote, died in Coast City for the 8 billionth time. So the body that they burned, was that William Hand's body? Well, that doesn't no. That would make that wouldn't make sense because his body, because his body wasn't at Coast City the last time we saw him. It was in the dead zone. That's how they. That's how Hal got got the black ring because black because black hand ended up being. He ended up being in the. Uh, he got in the right. He got in the dead zone. That's how Hal ended up getting his ring. He ended up taking his ring, and then black hand turned to ash once he got the ring. Yeah, that's true. So that's so that's another that's another that's so that's another question right there. You have what ring is it? Is this somehow his ring again after Hal became alive again in the conclusion of Wrath of the First Lantern? Is this actual Black Hand's ring again, or is it a new or ring? Is there so, yeah, and 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 again, it because you, you can only assume 
Yeah, there's a lot of things. There's a lot of speculation. You don't know because um, I was just going to say you have to assume that the ring, something about Black Hand is in the ring more than the ashes to begin with, because you know there's no reason why his ashes would be on Earth. So maybe he just needs basically any kind of you know dead, dead remnants of, of a body to be able to resurrect himself in a new form. But, uh, but who knows? It doesn't make that makes sense. If it's the only Black Lan- if he's the only Black Lantern, it's the only Black Lantern ring, and it's death. And the rings have – you remember how they, like, downloaded memories and everything when they attached to Black Lanterns? Right. Maybe maybe Black maybe Black Hand is the ring and, or his consciousness and everything is the ring and it just needs dead matter to construct a body, which – so, so th- this body that it raises here is not William – it's just dead matter shaped into William Hand. It could be. That's that's more what I was. That's more what I was thinking when it when I first saw it, something along those lines, anyway, mm-hmm. because that's the only thing that really makes sense. It makes more sense that that the essence of William Hand would be in the ring as opposed to a black ring just finding the remnants of his body, and then that's why. Because why again? Why would his body be? Why would his body be back on Earth? In in you know, in that pit of all places, it doesn't make a. I mean, it doesn't really make sense. That that makes sense. That makes more sense than anything else. I've talked a lot. So, so is there anything you wanted to say about this issue? I think I touched on all the points that that, that come to that come to mind. Um, the I mean, the, in a way, the good thing about this issue is, other than the even though they are raising zombies left and right in Coast City, so you would think that it would have to be acknowledged or dealt with at some point. But other than that, they haven't really leave too many open-ended things to really maybe bind the hands of whoever ends up picking up the pieces of this to, to, to do the next Black Hand story. All we really know is the, you, you would assume that somewhere, you know, Hal's going to be meeting up with his father, and Hal's going to be made. I mean, Hal's going to be made aware that you know. See this? See this hand over here? It's your father's. But other than that, but other than that, I think for the most part that it doesn't really box the next, you know, the next writer of of the Black Hand story arc of the next arc really binding them, binding their hands so much that they have to follow a certain path. So, and, and even so, even with the whole Martin Jordan thing, that could be a slow buildup too. It's, that's not necessarily something that has to happen immediately, depending on what kind of master plan. If he has one, the black hand ends up putting it into action. So, yeah. So, relic. Yes, relic. Alrighty. Last but not least, twenty-three point one, relic. Now let's see if we can, let's do the creative team right off the bat. Robert Venditti was the writer. Regs Morales was the penciler. Cam Smith and Regs, or it says with, but basically and Regs. Morales were the inkers, and Andrew Dollhouse was the colorist. So the issue begins in space, from in the, the existence before ours, the previous universe. You see a massive explosion of all the lights of the spectrum. And you see a floating body which looks like a Green Lantern. And the, the commentary makes it sound like you would think this is some kind of cosmic celebration if you didn't know any better, that you basically were witnessing the <laughs> what, what you were witnessing was death. And then we get the big splash page, which which re- reveals the issue of this 
title on this uh, one shot, I should say, which is Fall of the Lightsmiths. And basically you see all the all the lanterns, if you will, of Relic's universe who use more battle staffs as a as a weapon than rings. And they're all fighting amongst themselves in this big splash page. And then basically you see Relic. A Relic makes his first appearance in a little like a jetpack flying through space where you see a, a bunch of dead lightsmiths. And Relic points out that it didn't have to be like this. He kind of he tried to warn them. There's talk about how the lightsmiths used to, at, at some points, much like in our universe, that they had a, they used to fight together at times against common enemies besides fighting amongst themselves. There's discussion about the emotional spectrum in his universe. That there, in, in his universe, there was no real agreement who started gathering light first, who was the first lantern core, if you will. But they basically had had all ma- massive energy converters that harnessed the four, the uh, seven lights of the emotional spectrum. And Relic's universe, they, they were called different things in ours. Basically, different terms for the same things that we know and and at least some of us love. You have the violet the violet love of passion instead of love, the red light of fury instead of rage. The orange light of gluttony instead of greed or avarice. The green light of resolve instead of willpower. The yellow light of terror instead of fear. The indigo light of empathy instead of compassion. And last, and certainly not least, the blue light of faith instead of hope. And we find out that in Relic's universe, like pretty much lanterns used light even more in, than lanterns did in our universe. They created entire societies out of light. You know, buildings, cars, everything was made out of light, essentially, in some in some cultures and some areas. So, and all the lanterns, the lightsmiths in this universe, basically believed that there was no cost to this. But Relic did not believe this. Relic believed that they're basically like every other energy supply or source. That there is a reservoir, and if there's a, and if there's a reservoir, that means that it can be depleted. So Relic, who was a scientist and was very, who was very well respected at the time, certainly was able to gather, get all the lightsmiths to come to a, a great meeting, in which he basically explained his theory that the, uh, the emotional spectrum had its limitations, and by using it so brazenly by not paying attention, by not having any kind of restraint to how the light was used, eventually you were going to use the light up. And when that happened, he believed the universe was going to be destroyed. The lightsmiths didn't, needless to say, they kind of didn't really care. One way or the other, they kind of flipped him the bird, either figuratively or literally, depending on, uh, I guess, the nature of their core. And they basically, that's, we first get the the glimpse of how he gets his name because they basically said he was a relic, accusing him of wanting to return to a less enlightened time. So that that little probably that disclaimer or that label of him being called a relic kind of fueled him on more to prove his basic point that there was a reservoir that the spectrum had its limits, and he wanted to prove it by finding the source by finding the reservoir. So he used all his scientific knowledge to create to create ships and create weapons not weapons but to create sensors and everything to try to find this reservoir now relic 
basically he found what was these essentially the source wall of his universe. But he couldn't really examine it because in a common thread, as we'll find out, that because whatever would touch the source wall pretty much fused to it and became a part of it. But he still believed, he absolutely believed that his theory was correct, but he really couldn't prove it at this point. But then the event began among lanterns in their universe called the dimming, which is when all the energy converters, all their central power batteries began to fail. And the blue power battery, their converter, that was the first to go. And then they started working down this, this and as the, and as the energy as this dimming began, that basically led to a to a massive war of light because people wanted to people basically wanted to take possession of the remaining light and not have other people using the light since they knew that the the entire spectrum was was being drained. So they wanted to basically protect their spectrum and eliminate other people from using theirs. So after blue, the red was extinguished, indigo, yellow, violet, orange, and then finally willpower itself was the last to go. You have Relic basically finding the last lightsmith or Green Lantern alive in his universe, and he kind of reiterated the fact that we could have stopped this. You know, I, you should have listened to me. I should have made you listen. Then you basically have a Big Bang, which, which destroys begins the process anyway of destroying Relic's universe and during that process Relic ends up getting sucked into what's the damage it looks like the the Great Wall their source wall Great Wall as he calls it begins to crumble and he and Relic gets pulled into it and he was curious still as a scientist of what was going to happen but he figured he was going to die but instead Relic was reformed he was pulled apart and basically remade molecule at a time. And he was reformed as part of a new existence, which was our universe. And he truly was a he was a relic as in the quote is no longer a relic in name only, but by definition as well, since he was the only surviving basically only surviving but living artifact from a previous universe. We flash forward and he is in and he is encased. In the anomaly that we saw in New Guardians, it was basically a containment field for him, and to in a way, the way the, un, the new universe was dealing with the threat of the old universe, something that didn't belong as well. And we are told that basically it was the uh, the detection of a, the presence of another lightsmith, which was I we believe in New Guardians that it is described or essentially blamed blamed quote unquote on Kyle. So it could very easily be the green energy of, of the Templar Guardians. But with the sensing of, the, of a lightsmith, Relic basically awoke. And it leads to the splash page with Relic being awake and angry. And leads into next. Follow Relic in Green Lantern 24, the first installment of the five-part cosmic event Lights Out. And that is your Relic one-shot. Good on Rags Morales for making Kyle Rayner's White Lantern mask not look terrible. <laughs> That's true. It does not look. It does not look that bad. Mm-hmm. Now this was the only one of the uh, the only one of the lantern related uh, 
uh, Villains Month issues that I actually bought, like, a hard copy of. Um, because I knew it was going to be a big part of the crossover and everything. I, I enjoyed it when I first got it. I, it was my favorite out of all of them. If only for one reason and one reason only. It told a story of a universe outside of what we know. See, with the New 52, my problem is that... I'm about to go into a huge tangent here. Uh, Feel free. But the pro- my problem with the New 52 is we're over two years into this thing. Tell us what has happened in this universe so we can get a ground like a ground rule setting of where all this is taking place because we were talking earlier about blackest night some things could have happened some things couldn't have uh, we were talking earlier about the death of superman what happened you know cyborg superman's a little different this is this could be a different mongol what happened tell us what happened and how it happened give us I don't care if it's if it's DC creates their own Wikipedia entries somewhere that just give you basic quick rundowns of this stuff. Tell us what happened. I'm sick of guessing. I'm sick of trying to figure it out. I'm sick of getting angry that something isn't the way it, the the way it's familiar with. Like if a if if the Green Lantern rings do something that I think they shouldn't, but DC attributes it to being just how the rings work in the new 52 then tell me how the damn ring works in the new 52 so i know what to expect cuz i'm i'm sick of i'm sick of getting in it used to be when you read a comic this is either the writer's fault the artist's fault or the editor's fault now it's one of those or like who who Am I supposed to be mad at somebody? Like if if I if I read something that doesn't make sense, my gut reaction as a comics fan as is okay. They obviously didn't read the issues that came before it. That doesn't make sense. I'm upset. Well, am am, am I is my being upsetness justified? I get that they're, they're they made this universe, and as of right now, there's no going back. So I can bitch and I can complain all I want. It's not going to do a damn thing. This universe is still going to be in place for the time being. I can accept that. That's fine. But tell me what I can expect. And don't – just because I'm telling you to tell me what has happened before, you know, a, 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 a rough estimate, uh, a, 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 an outline. I'm not asking for a detailed map. So if you want to go in the future and reveal something like, oh, wow – Cool review, reveal, guys. That's fine. Give me a, a rough outline of what has happened and how it's happened. Basically, kind of like a, a rough, you know, when Coast City was attacked by Mongol, you know, but not not Cyborg Superman, you know, that type of thing. You don't have to tell tell me how or you know how how they destroyed it or where they started when they destroyed it or you know was was it all destroyed at once or a sequence of events you don't have to tell me that stuff just who and how that's all i need to know and and these what it just it drives me insane and then when we were talking earlier about we we've got two major players on the field right now we just finished lights out we're going into this durlin thing 
We've got Mongol on his way and Black Hand back with a ton of zombies. That means at least two big more storylines. Two more big storylines. One of the previous uh, episodes I was talking about how I miss seeing how on Earth and stuff like that. I was thinking the other day, and it's not just that. It's Green Lantern New Guardians. Kyle Rayner giving a tour to the New Guardians of space, of the universe. Green Lantern Corps. Jon Stewart in Fatality, Fatality being an alien, by the way, going around with some new recruits, dealing with threats in space. Green Lantern. Hal Jordan, now leader of the Corps, stationed on MOGO in space. Red Lanterns. Guy Gardner, over on Yasmalt or other areas with the Red Lantern Corps in space. The four Earth Green Lanterns most people would normally pick of people to pay attention to, because let's face it, Baz hasn't been on the playing field that long, and who knows what's going on with him, I don't know, personally, and personally I have no interest. That has nothing to do with anything other than the fact that he's new, and I'm not used to him yet, and I don't have any attachment to him just yet. But if I... None of these characters are on Earth. Ever. And not only are they not on Earth, because I've made this point before, they're not interacting with each other. The only four Earth Lanterns aren't like, like aren't 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 Guy and and John supposed to be buddies? Aren't Kyle and John supposed supposed to like? Aren't these people like Hal? I wouldn't say Hal is really close with any of them. I think of them all, I think John, John, Kyle, and Guy are kind of like a little close-knit group. You know, they're friends with each other. Hal is friends with them, but they're not, like, super close or anything. If anything, I'd say he's close with Kyle, maybe. But they don't even interact with each other. You've got four Earth Lanterns, setting aside Baz, four Earth Lanterns, four Lantern titles, and all four Lanterns are split into other titles. So not only are the Earth Lanterns not on Earth ever, the Earth Lanterns aren't even act interacting with each other. If Black Hand is going to become this big threat over on Earth that's supposed to draw Hal back or something, great, awesome, finally, thank God, Hal will be on Earth for a little while. But I get the feeling that once, once Black Hand's dealt with, Hal's going to hang out for like two issues and then go away. Back to space. It's it's not that it's happening now. It's that it's happening now and I see no potential resolution to my problem with that in the future at all. That's my problem right there. And that's that's why I'm so angry right now or whatever the emotion you want to say, like, you know, for Klimt or whatever about it is – it's been bothering me for a while, and I've made that known on this show and on the forums and all that stuff. But these issues in particular, specifically the Black Hand and the Mongol ones, made me realize that there's no end in sight to that pattern either. And it's driving me nuts. We're like 25-odd-plus issues into these Lantern titles, and my Earth Lanterns have no interaction barely with 
Earth. As if, you know, six, seven-issue story arcs weren't bad enough when they're back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back. I don't know. I I get that that lanterns are cosmic, and they're the cosmic side of, of the DCU, and, you know, you can't have every title in the DC Universe be on Earth. But these are humans. Humans not interacting with each other and stuck in space all the time. Where are the consequences of that? Where are the consequences of these species being split off from each other and split off from their home planet? Like, they're... they're they, before, it wasn't a big deal because they're sector partners. You know, they, do, they did spend time on Earth. Lately, they're spending all their time in space. They didn't used to do that before. They didn't used to spend all their time in space. Maybe John did on Mosaic. If that's even still in continuity. But they didn't used to spend all of their time in space. Now that they have, the philosophical part of my mind is thinking, these are humans, I'm a human, if I was in space surrounded by nothing but aliens, eventually, even if they're aliens I'm familiar and friends with, eventually I'm going to miss other humans. My friends, only three of which are other lanterns. Okay, what about my family? I'm, I'm Hal. What about my family, my brother? What about my nieces and nephews? You know, my mom and dad are dead, but, you know, in, in Caroline I might not be working out, but she's still a big part of my life. You know, what? how's Tom doing? You know, these are things that would just randomly pass my mind. And even if I'm saddled with this giant responsibility of being in charge of a core. I can step away for a few minutes, you know, I can, you know, maybe the ring can connect to the wireless network of Earth. I can make a call. Like, it just seems like there's there's this chessboard full of things preventing us from getting any type of character development on Earth and family and friends and, you know having uh, a core member of the Lantern Corps interact with the Justice League and, you know, having moments where Hal and Superman have a cool conversation, you know, that type of thing. And it's, and it's, and it's, it's two, two big villains on the playing field, four Lantern titles with all Earth Lanterns being split across them and never interacting with each other or Earth. It's six, seven issue story arcs that go on forever and then we get uh, the very next big threat is coming already, so we got to get prepared for that. And any storyline, any one or two issues in between doesn't really matter because we all know it's just epilogue and then prologue and then the next big event. It's just it feels like there's five, six, seven, eight different big things in the way that are not going to be moving anytime soon. I love these stories. Like, I, I think this Relic one is cool. I think the art was cool. I think the story was cool. The reason I like Relic, this story, is because it's completely set aside from everything else. It has nothing to do whatsoever with even the DCU as we know it in any way, shape, or form. Other than the fact that there's light that is powering some sort of element and it's somewhat similar to Lander. It's almost like an alternate universe. It is an alternate universe. 
This is totally new territory. I'm going in blind, and I can just enjoy the story because it's not messing with anything at all that I know to be awesome and true. So that's why I enjoyed the heck out of Relic. And that's why I went on that tangent is because there's so much crap in my head and so much disdain and confusion and anger and, you know, hope that it gets better and maybe there maybe there's a plan. I don't know that Relic was almost like, <sighs> chill and just enjoy this for a minute. And when I told Jim, you know, have you read Relic yet? Like I, when I when I first got it, I texted him. I was like, have you read it? His reaction was a little lukewarm. But mine was so like, oh my god, I love this issue because of all of that. Like I was just freaking, you know, I've been freaking out, you know, in slowly higher stages for a while now. But I just realized a few days ago, especially with reading Mongol and, and, uh, and Black Hand, that there's all this stuff that's being set up. And now there's two more big things being set up. And it's just driving me insane. And now I just can appreciate something like Relic just a little bit more because even though Relic is the, is leading into this you know lights out thing, which I've already read at this point, but even though I knew this was leading into part of an event, it's still separate enough that I can just take this and appreciate it for what it is. And and in my mind, the Relic one shot is not a part of Lights Out. Yes, it gives you good information, and it does kind of lead into everything, and you can get inside the mind of the villain you're about to experience in this storyline, and it, by all by all you know by all means or whatever, it's part of Lights Out. But in my mind, I just differentiate it because it's just this one shot that I can just take a breath and enjoy. Nicely put, Chad. <laughs> Feel better now? Not really. <laughs> I don't. I, I. I don't know if anybody else feels like that. Like, or even in the extreme that I do. Does anyone else see this as being a problem, or are people just like cool, badass action and art? Well, let's deal with the new Fifty Two. I think the the problem. The problem with the new 52, and I'm not the world's biggest fan of the new 52. I mean, we've been lucky from the point of view as a as a Green Lantern fan. We have been lucky that the majority of what we saw before the new 52 was launched has re- remained intact. Obviously, as we go on, we find out a little bit more and more seemingly all the time that it didn't really stay intact. It's just – but, you know, <laughs> they still – the majority of things still have been intact. It's just not as intact as kind of we were maybe led to believe even when, when they did the relaunch. But as a whole, the big problem with, I had with the new 50 – I have with the new 52 is the fact that they didn't really seem to think this out particularly well. It was one of these things where it's like, you know, this is really cool. Let's do it quick, kind of like in a way keeping with Green Lantern, kind of like the way they were so determined to have – to do Emerald Twilight and have Kyle become Green Lantern, you know, by the end of Green Lantern 50, that that's all they cared about, that the, that the transition was going to occur, occur in a nice little anniversary issue. That was so we only have three issues to make Hal go from hero to nuts, and three issues, and then I can't imagine why people, you know, are are up in arms about this. <laughs> that they were so that they were so determined 
to get their idea done quickly, they, they maybe they didn't take enough time to do it right or do it the way or do it better. Maybe better would be the, a more proper way of putting it. That if you're trying to recreate your entire universe for whatever reason, because we've been down this road before, whether it was zero hour and different things that there were why you know to, to streamline this or to clarify that or to you know there was confusion from the last last crisis event so we want to do this one to clarify whatever the point is if you know you want to recreate the universe from scratch essentially and but but yet you want to you don't but you still want a lot of the history to carry over but you're not sure what then take some damn time to just you don't need I mean there's always going to be problems. If you're doing something like that, there's always going to be issues. No one's – even if you're the biggest fan or if you're actually writing the stu- a stupid book for like umpteen years, even like Jeff Johns. I mean there's going to be somebody who once in a while you're going to forget you know, something that you did before or, or you're going to write something that contradicts something that you've written before just because it's – but at least make – focus it on minor points. Work on look, work on the big picture from the big picture and work your way in. It's like if you go with the major events first. Did, did Crisis on Infinite Earths happen? Did Infinite Crisis happen? Did all these things happen? It's like did Emerald Twilight happen? Okay, it happened. Then okay, does this mean or Rebirth and all these things? Okay, Rebirth happened. So that means Coast City had to be destroyed, right? Well, not really. It's like okay, well then how did so how did he become Parallax? No, yeah, he became Parallax. But why did he become Parallax? Or how if there was no co-city? Uh, we won't even – we'll deal with that at some point. It's like you need, you need to have the basic huge events of characters and their, in, in their, in their titles, and, may, and you at least need to figure out what the hell is in continuity, what happened, and what didn't. Mm-hmm. You can't imply that this ha- – you can't imply that this happened, but yet you know, Doomsday has a completely different origin. Uh, Cyborg Superman isn't anywhere near Hank, Hank Henshaw anymore. All these – it's like – Okay, so th- so things couldn't have happened the same way for the same reason. Mm-hmm. So it's just if you if they had spent time, this is something that if you know, realistically speaking, if you know you're going to do something like this, you should at least be really. And I and if they did and if they did spend this much time ahead of time, but we just didn't know about it, it's even worse. That this is something you would think you might want to spend like a year planning in advance because there's going to be so many things that so many issues that are, that are going to be involved that you could. Or else it just becomes conf- confusing, and it's like, do you really want to throw? Do you really want to throw out so much of what came before, just as a jumping jumping on point, or as a gimmick because the new Fifty Two is a nice little slogan? And, and oh, we keep Fifty Two books, and then I don't know. So that's why, for the most part, I don't. I'm. I really. I've read a few things from the new Fifty Two. Uh, I think honestly, I think. And I'm not, probably not going to be keeping this much longer either. I think Phantom Stranger, your your boy there, is still one of the few titles that I get pulled besides besides my Lantern books. Mm-hmm. Right now, I'm getting Forever Evil pulled. Um, but I and I've got I've got some more of the the Villains Month one shots. I picked up a bunch of those. I picked up Bane. I picked up Doomsday, Cyborg Superman, things like the characters that have always interested me. Mm-hmm. I'm not reading much of the new 52. You know, Justice League has kind of been fa- faded out to me. I read it in the first like arc or two under Jeff Johns. Didn't care. Now Aquaman, I read for maybe like the first 10 issues. Didn't care all that much. I don't care all that much about the new 52, other than the, other than other than the Green Lantern stuff. I mean, 
I'm reading Forever Evil, the proper series. You know, I'm actually enjoying that. I actually enjoyed Justice League 3000, the first issue of that that came out. I thought that was an interesting little concept, wherever they go with it. But they, they needed to really plan that out, number one, looking at the big picture of the New 52. They needed to spend a lot more time, I think, than they did to, to be able to figure out what happened, what didn't happen. The characters we're not going to, we're purposely not going to introduce, but we do have plans for. You know, all, all these things. Now, going back, now switching back to Green Lantern and some, and some of the things you pointed out. Yes, I mean, I don't see, you would think, based on the new status quo of Red Lanterns, which we will be discussing, probably we can start delving into that once we do the Lights Out episode, you would think Guy is going to be the one that's more, going to be more much more likely that we're going to see floating around Earth in the near future. Not that there's any hint, I think, of major story arcs yet, I don't believe, of when that's going to happen, but if you would think he's going to be the one. John Stewart, you pretty much can say he's not going to be the one. He doesn't really have that many ties to Earth at the moment anyway when you really think about it, and he's the, the core book seems to be completely revolving around him. Obviously, Hal could, for an, like you mentioned, for an arc, or, an arc or two or an issue or two could come back to Earth. But until they resolve the – until probably the, the Templar Guardians come back, he, he's probably not going to be spending much time on Earth. And Kyle, forget about it. I mean there's – you have no idea when Kyle's ever going to make it back to Earth. So and, – and you were correct. And then just looking ahead at – you talking about the, the villains that were in that – that we talked about in this episode, the ones that have are either – have already come and gone as major threats. Well, they basically all have come and gone in the past, but you know what I mean. They, they are in current continuity, like Relic has come and gone now. And but the other three are on the, the other three are on. Sinestro is going to be off doing his own thing, probably going to have loose ties to the Lantern books, but not direct ties. Probably short term, at least short term, probably not. But you have Black Hand and Mongol that it will have to be dealt with. But there are, you know, but you got the Durlin thing, which which looks like if. I hope it's not the case, but it looks like it could go on for a long time. How that's going to go on, and you are, and they're already hinting at, you know, the what the new, the they're building towards the next event, Green Lantern event, which I believe is somehow going to be related to whatever happened to Kyle when he went through the breach in the in the source wall and came back. Uh-huh. That was, that what he learned and or what he brought back with him is going to be leading into setting the stages for the I think for the next Lantern event. Which may very well deal with the whole – potentially could deal with getting more of a resolution about the reservoir, you know, whether there really is a – whether there really is an, a reservoir that is just naturally draining or whether there is something else to it that, you know, Relic never thought about. But you're right. I mean they could – they definitely could afford to do more more arcs on Earth, especially having as many lanterns as they do. And as many titles as they do. And as many titles as they do, that's 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 true. When you really when you really think about it, I mean, the the only lantern that spent the lantern that spent the most time on Earth, based on certainly the per capita, based on the number of times he he's been in the books, the the, the you know the Green Lantern proper books was Baz. Mm-hmm. Baz spent almost all his time on Earth <laughs> mm-hmm. until the very end. But I mean, I don't know. I I agree with most with almost everything that you're saying. I think I think there are a lot of problems. I think the new. I think they do need to. 
I mean, just the mere fact that when it was thrown, the when the idea was being floated that oh yeah, Coast City was wasn't destroyed anymore, but yet Hal still was Parallax, and we know, and they kind of reaffirmed that Hal was still Parallax by the fact that they did the uh, when we saw Green Lantern, a Green Lantern twenty, right? That was the twenty was the wrap up of First Lantern, mm. um, that you know because they begin re- rebirth, so you know rebirth happens. So the question is. Isn't that kind of a big deal that if Hal still became Parallax, but not because of the destruction of Coast City? Isn't that a, an issue? I mean, and, and who knows? Maybe to give them credit, maybe that somewhere down the line, or maybe even Jeff Johns himself had an idea how to do that. But that is something of relevance. I mean, if Coast City was never destroyed, then you have a big gap in the logic of how Hal be- became Parallax. Uh-huh. And that's important. It is important in the in the history. So, I don't know. I I... It just it just seemed like even though they you give them credit the new writing teams for for at least trying to separate in between the major events they really have tried to separate the interaction of the books other than core and Green Lantern but we know you know Venditti was kind of steering both ships or at least partially steering both ships for a while so it made sense that they would have more cohesion and like you said the inter the, the lanterns not interacting with each other other than got. Uh, Hal and John are like the only two that are interacting on any kind of semi-regular basis right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, Guy's doing his own thing, for his, and we understand partially why. Kyle, everybody thinks, is, is dead, so that's something. But, you know, John and Hal are like the only two that are really interacting, but based on, that, based on the story arcs that they're in, they have no choice. I mean, Hal needs Guy to be, I mean, needs, excuse me, needs John to kind of be the good soldier, or good Marine, if you prefer. To, you know, to do his duty and help train these recruits and everything else, and so it's. I I just I just think that this, and as soon as I get through talking, let's just talk about this issue because we've been going way too long. Um, I know, but the Kyle Rayner series right after Emerald Twilight. Some of the things that made that series so awesome wasn't the fact that he was the only Lantern, wasn't the fact that he'd get into these massive blowout fights. It was stuff like sitting in Radu's, you know, and just talking. It was stuff like being a struggling artist. It was stuff like, you know, his relationships with various girls. It was stuff like, you know, late and much later on, like, stuff like, you know, sitting in, in Warriors or going and visiting John when he was handicapped and talking with him and everybody. You know what I mean? And, like, I remember – I can't remember what John's girlfriend's name was um, at the time. She was an alien. She, I think she was a, a, a model or something. I can't remember. Was it, was it Marilyn or something Yeah, like Marilyn. That? There you go. I can't remember what issue it was, but Jade and Kyle and John and Marilyn went out to a dance club. That was cool. That was a good issue. I remember – like I can't even remember the issue number, but that's one of – like I don't remember you know Kyle fighting so-and-so so, so in this big epic blowout. I remember when they went to that club, and that's just a comic book with Green Lantern, but that's what I remember. What does that tell you that that stuff is important, and I think – and and, and – and, Venditti and anybody else who may be listening to this, I'm not criticizing you guys specifically. I'm criticizing the environment in which you're forced to write, where it's 
these giant story arcs that happen one right after the other after the other, and the only time these people interact with one another is when their titles cross over. And by the time they cross over, there's already this massive thing taking place. So you got to deal with that. You can't you can't take a break to get character development in there. I can understand how that would be constrictive. I get it. I'm not blaming the writers solely for this. I think there is some responsibility on the writer's shoulders, but I do think a large portion of it is ha- does have to do with the environment in which they they have to turn in their work and the constraints that are placed on them. Like, you know, let's say even if there isn't, let's say there is a checklist that a DC comic book has to meet before it goes to publication. Does it do A, B, C, D, E, F, G? Does it do all these awesome, cool, great, send it to press? But by doing these these big story arcs and going for the action and going for the wow moment, you're sacrificing the personality and the heart of these comics. One thing I keep telling people who criticize people who read comics is comics aren't just for kids. Despite taking out the fact that there's so much violence in comics now, these comics are for kids. I'm sorry. There's, there's. If you were to give this comic to a kid, and they let's say that they were, you know, desensitized to this type of stuff, and you know, honestly, that's probably not much of a stretch. Most of them probably are. If you were to give these comics to a kid, they would be able to understand everything that's in it. There's, there's no deeper meaning here. There's no, you know, there's, there's no, you know, peeling back the curtain of the human psyche and there's no commentary on the nature of love. You know, there's, there's no, and I know that sounds crazy for me to say, but I, I just go back to that, what I just said a minute ago. I remember Kyle and Jade and Marilyn and John in that dance club. I remember those moments when they were happy and laughing and having fun and just being regular people. That was a cool minute to me. Where is that in these books? And forget just these books. Where is that in the New 52? I don't know. That's, that's, that's my big deal. I'm, I'm missing the heart of these comics. That's all. I mean, Blackest Night was a big, cool story arc. There was a deeper meaning. There was a commentary on the nature of, of emotion and you know how all these, these, these colors interacted with each other and what it meant to be alive and what death was and all of this stuff. It was, there was a psychological aspect to that, not just an emotional. But these – and I'm not saying – I'm not referring now to specifically these Lantern titles. I'm referring to these issues in the New 52 – I don't feel that anymore. I don't see that. And I'm not saying I'm burned out on these comics. I'm just saying I'm not seeing it like I used to anymore. It all seems we're hearing about it being so editorially driven and so profit minded and, you know, marketing and stuff like that, that I'm starting to see it in the actual product we're getting now. Like they took the heart out of their business and what their goals were. And it's being reflected in the material they're putting out. That there's no heart in that either. 
Which, again, isn't to say that the creators putting the books together don't have any hopes for heart or whatever. It's maybe, maybe, maybe my, my scope and my picture of the industry, since it's not just relegated to strictly the comics I'm reading, but because I go to news site and reads, read what happening, what's happening behind the scenes and all this stuff, and all the decisions and changes being made, maybe the, the broadening of my scope with DC has made me a little jaded and that's affecting everything. Maybe someone who's possible. Maybe someone you never know. It is possible. Yeah. Maybe someone who's just reading these titles isn't feeling that and they're just totally enthralled. Maybe I'm just too involved in, in trying to figure out what's going on behind the scenes. I don't know, but, but we've been talking forever. Uh, That was a total tangent. I'm sorry, guys. Uh, relic, I don't know. Awesome, the the designs for the lightsmiths were cool. That that double page spread in the fall of the lightsmiths. Did you notice that there's two orange lanterns there? I thought that there were. Let me go back. I I buried this book under another book for a moment. Let me grab it back. But the initial the, the initial splash page you yeah. said. Yeah. There's one. Yeah. There's one in the front, one in the back. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. That was cool. Um. And then there's the blue lantern on this page, which I think is kind of weirdly placed because when when Relic talks about the, the the big war that happened between the lights the lightsmiths, it happened after the blue reservoir went dark. This is true. This this yeah that is true but maybe there was one that still had a little bit of power left maybe or and or even though they are referring to this being the death of the uh the death of the universe i was also thinking that it also could have been referring to the fact that they had they mentioned before like the next page when you're seeing all their bodies floating around and he mentions that that they had the the lightsmiths had fought together and and uh against each other before so maybe that was also an allusion to that but yes i i kind of i kind of thought about that too when uh when I went back and I reread it, that they do have the the blue there, and even though their battery was the first to be dimmed, yeah, that was a good catch, though. One of the first things I noticed when I read this issue the first time, when I first got it, when it when it very first came out, um, I thought it was. I, I wonder. I wonder if there's any connection at all, and it it. I doubt it. I really do. But I wonder if there's any connection at all. Like, does the Indigo tribe have any knowledge of this previous universe? Any whatsoever? Because the Indigo tribe is the only one who uses staffs. In the previous universe, all light wielders didn't wield rings. They wielded staffs. So I'm wondering, you know, it's, you know, I'm not going to say it's a stretch because... Staff equals staff, <laughs> but but I'm the the idea that the Indigo Tribe has knowledge of a prior universe, whereas none of the other cores do. I, maybe that's a bit of a stretch. Or or maybe just Natromo would know about it. Maybe because he's because he since he was basically he's kind of the architect of everything. So maybe he if that would I think that would make almost make more sense that he would that he would have some knowledge as opposed to the entire tribe having knowledge but it's not it's it's an interesting point you I mean could 
it could just be simple simple coincidence that that was their wep- their weapon of choice. Mm-hmm. Or you know, especially with the the new writing team, they may have just thought, oh, that looks kind of cool. That would be you know, we want to be we want to differentiate these from rings. So what would be cool that we haven't seen before? I mean, giving them like basically lightsabers wouldn't quite kind of be as cool because we've kind of seen that before. So, mm-hmm. um, speaking of lightsabers. When that that page where you see the 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 rings come or the staffs coming out of that pyramid thing, did you read the uh, what was that Dark Horse series? Uh, I think it was Dark Horse the, about the origin of the Jedi. No, I don't think I ever read that one. It was sold out forever. Like it, it became such an overnight hit. I, it's in trade now. I still haven't gotten the trade. I read like the first issue. I liked it. I just for some reason I, I maybe I was picking up other stuff or something. Um, I, I fully intend to get the trade at some point. It's one of the few Star Wars comics I have read that I actually enjoyed. There were pyramids like this in there that just kind of randomly appeared all over the place. I, I, if I, I was wondering if you had seen it. I'm sure one of our listeners out there knows what I'm talking about. I just thought it was a cool little thing. This that this uh, source of cosmic power or something like that, or this uh, reservoir of it, um, would look like this pyramid that I saw in a Star Wars comic about Jedi, the origin of the Jedi. Um. I like the way their stabs are different too. Yeah, that's cool. Like the green ones have that that S shape and the swirl and the globe at the end. Yeah, the globe at the end. Yes. Yeah. The 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 one for uh, Fury is almost like a spear, rather than uh, rather than uh, anything right. soft or whatever. And the and the. Uh... The blue one, at least on the, the page when everything's flying out of the pyramid, it almost looks like more like a feather shaped almost. Yeah. Um, the orange one. But I guess the, the orange one almost yeah. looks like a honeycomb. Yeah. And bees are notoriously protective of their honey, so maybe, maybe that's what they're going for there. I don't know. <laughs> it's it, it was clever. It was clever. It was a clever design. I mean, the designs were, and I think even using the staff to differentiate themselves, you know, kind of like the core symbols and everything else in ours, mm. that it was a nice job to, besides just the little nuances in their body armor to try to make make a difference between the, the light smiths there. These, these cities made of light. I don't know how I feel about that. Like, is there... Is there a red lantern over there, like, all the time, steadily concentrating and projecting that, that building? I'm not sure, but I'm, I guess in a way you almost – I mean, it certainly could be implied that's the case with them flying back and forth over the, over everything. But again, that could just be symbolic of the fact that, that you know, they, they're putting all these different colors together like on this one world. Mm-hmm. I guess to show you to show you what they can do, it just could be an example that pretty much that maybe in different in different worlds and different in different civilizations using these uh, this color or that color that they're that they do that. It is interesting though. Yeah, it, it is. You would think it'd be pretty hard to pull off. 
Yeah, so are these supposed to be constructs, or are they supposed to be just another use of the light? Like, you you, says, you can build a building. What's it say? Well, it says they were solid. They're other shaped the light into solid constructs. Okay. And So entire, entire civilizations were built not with wood or stone or alloy, but with light. Okay, so they are constructs. So, yeah, they are. They are constructs. So, because our understanding of constructs is you have to focus. I mean, regardless of your power, you know, there is some will involved. You have to channel your respective emotion into some focus to create that construct. So is somebody, I mean, that, 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 that collection of blue, uh, spheres, (laughs) <laughs> yes, a, which looks like a lamppost. A blue spheres in the background, like a lamppost or some type of modern art. You're telling me somebody is focusing to make that thing? And by the way, lamppost makes no sense because this whole city's made of light. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah, I guess that's true. <laughs> this is so. This is some form of modern. Well, it looks art. like a lamppost anyway. <laughs> <laughs> this is some form of modern art, just to make the landscape look pretty. That is just there, and someone is taking the time to focus and create that construct. I don't know. <laughs> well, there there are ways to make constructs permanent, but it's but it's supposed to be very difficult. Because I even remember, I even remember when Ganthet was talking to one of our favorite one-shot Green Lanterns who we've never seen since. Uh, when he was when he was giving the crash course to Carrie Wren about how to use the ring. Mm-hmm. And I think I think I think it's like I think she created like an apple or something. And he mentions the, the fact that you know that per, that you can that construct that permanent permanent constructs are, you know are possible, but it, it but it takes a hell of a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, Kyle. Because she was asking like can I like can I eat it or something? And it's like well not really, but I mean, but permanent constructs are possible. But Kyle made some, didn't he? Right before he became Ion. I remember, like, I remember him sitting in the diner with, uh, see, here's another moment. I'm not about to go on that tangent again, but just another one of those moments. I remember specifically Kyle sitting, uh, maybe it was Radu's or maybe it was just a diner, with Alan uh, having, talking to him about the power he's getting. Like, he's getting more and more powerful and his constructs are becoming more and more realistic. And Alan asks him, like, how? How realistic are they becoming? And this woman comes over to the table, and she's tattooed and pretty and busty and all this stuff. And uh, you know, I think she he she's a waiter or waitress or something. Uh, Asks him how or an old friend or something like that. And then she walks away and out the door and down the street. And you know, Alan's like, "So you were saying?" And and Kyle's like, "That was one of them." That was one of his constructs. Like she wasn't even green or anything. She looked like a person. So I'm wondering if like if yeah. uh, the the statue the statue that Kyle made of Hal at the, after the funeral wasn't that made of light? I guess I guess it could have been. Um, it all, although every um, every image I've seen of it makes it almost look like emerald. Like it's actually made of stone or something, but I do remember. I do remember when um, when Hal shattered it in the Emerald Knights storyline, when Hal from the past came to the future, 
he got all pissed off and he broke the statue yeah. in pieces, it like evaporated. Like it was energy. So I guess it was. Yeah, I guess it's not that far of a leap. I mean, there there is a, a precedent set for it, I guess. Still, it's pretty big. It's a pretty big leap, though, from an apple or a construct person or a statue to massive buildings. This is true. <clears throat> um. Do you think these these lightsmiths, not lanterns, but these lightsmiths, are kind of arrogant in not listening to uh, in relic? I mean, I I know that he comes to them with no proof, so them saying you know get us some proof and we'll listen doesn't seem like that far of a stretch. But notice, like uh, in, in the in the in the page where he's standing on the on the podium with his arms spread, if you look to the left of his head, and there's that one in the back who's like waving him off like ah you're crazy you know type of thing and people are leaving yeah. the room you think they're just being not they're not not that they okay there's no proof to back you up but they're also like okay you finally flipped your lid uh, do I think it's pure I mean do I, I certainly don't think it's it's I'm sure there's got to be some arrogance involved because common sense would dictate that it, it would be arrogance. I mean, I mean, you would you would have if you've been using some a power like this and have mastered it for so long, and somebody told you, hey, you know what, you you're essentially destroying the universe by doing what you're doing. I I mean, it would be hard. And besides the fact that you would want the proof, it would be hard not to have so much emotionally invested in it. And being a lightsmith, being a lantern, that you would be automatically prone to just dismiss it to begin with, and to say, "Well, you know, look at everything we do with this. How can you say that you know we're destroying the universe? I mean, you don't you don't know what you're talking about." Hmm. So I, but I think, but I think, I mean, I I would just, I would probably say yes. There was there was more arrogant. If I had to say between our our lanterns and their lanterns, I would suspect their lanterns had more had more arrogance. But I think we're, but their dynamic seems to be different too because it looks it looks like that their lantern cores all existed together a lot longer for a longer period of time than ours have, mm -hmm. and have in, interacted with each other for a lot longer time than ours have. That's why there's even that line in in the book about how no one's really sure which light came up basically came first mm. you know and in our universe doesn't seem to be much of a doubt that the green came first as far as the cores yeah uh but in their universe that's not that's not set in stone and in our universe i mean no matter how no matter how you how you tip over the dominoes i mean for the most part the, the period in which there have been all these different color lanterns interacting with each other and using the power together in knowing of each other and interacting together is a relatively relatively small. So it's that's kind of the irony with the whole lights out thing too. That he, he is the relic ends up taking his approach to what he does in lights out based on his interaction with with the lightsmiths from his universe. When it, when his approach maybe in our universe would have probably would have had a slightly different response. And he he may have had a chance more of a great greater chance of success having using the old approach with the new universe. Not with everybody, clearly. Like, Laura Flees, you have to pry from his cold, dead fingers, but I mean, still. But 
Right. But I think the the greens, I think the greens, the blues, the indigos, they certainly would have been willing to, to I think, would have been willing to consider it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you seem to like the idea of there being a source wall in his universe. Yeah, I thought that was kind of, I thought that was kind of clever. I thought it was. I thought it was a nice little tie-in to make it basically seem like every every universe has the same kind of protective wall, one way or the other. It's and, may, and maybe and that might be a theme that they're going to delve into. Like I said, if we're going to find out more and more about down the road or what happened to Kyle or what he learned and what he experienced and saw on the other side of the source wall. So maybe they they had a there was a specific reason why they meant they brought that the previous source previous source wall into you know this one shot maybe there was maybe that wasn't just uh tying it into how you know where we end up in lights out um it's funny that you say tie in because on this page um you okay you see relic and you see his device getting you know assimilated for lack of a better term into the source wall and then you see that little asteroid to the left of it do you see the ship that's become part of the source wall there? Right next to it? Does that look like the cockpit to a TIE fighter to you or something? Mm. Yeah, it does. Now that I'm look- yeah, it kind of does. <laughs> it does. It actually does, yeah. Looks like a TIE fighter gets sucked in there somehow. That's cool. Um... Yeah, the blue lanterns there, light goes out. There's not much hole there. Lanterns are dead. I do like I do like the color. I like the backgrounds in all of these. Mostly the space stuff. Like the beginning when the light is just like this crazy swirl explosion thing. In the background. Yeah, that is, yeah that's nice. Yeah, in the background when they're all just dead bodies floating there, that still looks kind of cool in the background. The the all the nebula type shape stuff in the background, um, the the swirl right after the blue lantern page when he's holding the hand of the dying green lantern and it's all being sucked in, and then the very next page when all the planets are being sucked in, you see that they're all being sucked into this vortex, but that uh, they're all being sucked in so fast that that moon gets sucked in and then. Ex- impacts with its planet as its planet's being sucked in and then the force of the explosion of the moon impacting with the planet that is all being sucked in that's cool it's definitely a nice looking issue there's no doubt about that the col- like the color like the visual spectrum when relic is in the source wall and being torn apart like almost that prism effect right that's cool looking and one thing of note that I wanted to mention as well, when Relic has is starting to have the anomaly form around him, the hand in the background, that's such a big part of yep. the DC Universe lore. Yeah, that is that is a nice touch. Yeah, that's I thought that was cool to have in there. Um. Is there anything else that you wanted to say about this issue? I've, I've been talking a lot between my tangent and my direction. Well, I think well, I think we covered it. Okay. I think we did cover a lot in this issue because when you really, it's an interesting issue. But again, there's not. I mean, I don't think there's. I don't think there's a 
huge amount of meat on the bones to pick at in this issue. I mean, I think it's pretty straightforward what's going on in this issue, just like we learned a little bit new about Relic that we didn't already know heading into this issue, but it's not but not any shocking revelations. You know, no, nothing of great a great reveal or anything. So, right. but I think we covered all the important points of it. I think I hope anyway. Yeah, I think so too. Um, you said you already mentioned some of the one shots you got for Villains Month. I want to let everybody know, uh, particularly because of my rant earlier. Um, I got the uh, uh, of of the ones I actually spent money on and took home. I got the Riddler one. The Riddler one is awesome. I mean, I, I know I went on that rant about the New 52 and everything. I'm saying I'm not saying there's nothing good in the New 52. I'm not saying that at all. The Riddler one shot was incredibly awesome. I loved it. I loved everything about it. It was so cool. Um, I flipped through the uh, the Black Manta one. I thought that was cool. Um, it was. <sighs> It was crazy. There, there was I guess because of uh, the start of Forever Evil or whatever, when Ultraman moves the moon or something like that, that kind of happens in the background of this Black Manta issue, and it causes this massive disruption of tidal waves. And I, I, the only thing I know about Forever Evil and how Ultraman reacts is from this Black Manta issue, and Ultraman says like. I didn't anticipate that, and then flies away. Like, hundreds of people, if not thousands upon thousands of people, have just died because of him moving the moon. And he's just like, it, it like speaks to the, the guy's character slash his mentality when his reaction isn't, oh wow, I just killed a crap ton of people. Like, even even for a villain. You know, oh, I didn't mean to kill a bunch of people like that. He, he's just like, hmm, I didn't think of that. <laughs> like, you know, I really should have thought of that. It, uh, it shouldn't have been a surprise to me. I knew I should have known that was going to happen. <laughs> Not like I could have prevented that or something, or that was unnecessary. <laughs> but whatever. Uh, I heard a lot of these were were weren't that great to, by some people. I like I heard the. Uh, Joker's daughter one. I don't know if was that one. Was there a Joker's daughter? Yeah, that, there it is. I think so. Um, yeah, I heard that was awful. I heard a lot of people like the new origin of Cyborg Superman, like you were talking about earlier. I hated the new. I, the issue was interesting. I hated. I hated the, you know the new origin. To me, it's to me Cyborg Superman is Hank Henshaw, and that's the way it has been. It should be. There's a lot of reasons why. So I know. I mean, I guess from a from a creating tension and you know family dynamic point of view, doing what they did with the new origin kind of make they they probably figure they can do a lot with it, but to me that's one of the things that they kind of butchered. Yeah, I heard good things about Reverse Flash and uh, Killer Frost and all that, but um, we've been going on for a while, guys. We got a lot more out of this than I thought I would. So what I'm going to do, if it's okay with you, Mark, is make an executive decision here and just say that. Um, the only listener feedback we'll do ep- this episode is that email, and then we'll okay. s- we'll save Twitter and Facebook for one big mass uh, next episode. Um, next episode, guys. Uh, actually, we'll, let's let's just do the email now. And we'll talk about next episode when we get done. Okie dokie. Let me get to it. So we we received this email a few weeks ago from Dave, 
and it was related the subject matter was and the subject of the email was Green Lantern 21 through 23. Recent Lantern cast episode covering Green Lantern 21 through 23. Hi, Chad Mark. Just wanted to drop you a quick line and let you know it's great to have a regular Lantern cast back, and I've been really enjoying the episodes you've done so far. Thanks for getting it going again. Listening to the recent episode covering Green Lantern 21 to 23, a couple of thoughts popped into my mind. First, I agree that Carol all of a sudden cutting Hal loose after doing everything she could to assure he would be resurrected just seems a does seem a bit forced. Having said that, I do think it at least adds some changes that, while not, necess- not necessary, do at least open up the possibility of some interesting storylines, especially in regards to where they seem to be taking the Carol storyline. I assume you'll get to that in upcoming podcasts covering New Guardians, so I won't tread too deep into details. But as a minor spoiler, I guess... I would say it this way, while Superman should be and one day will be back with Lois, and while Spider-Man is and should be and will be again one day Peter Parker, I'm thoroughly enjoying both Superman with Wonder Woman and Superior Spider-Man. So while the Hal and Carol thing will happen again someday, in the meantime, I'm interested to see where it goes. Second, I agree with you. I'm hoping to see more Earth-based Green Lantern stories. Right up your alley there, Chad. (laughs) Yeah. Especially after War of the Green Lanterns. Uh, well, he has then Secrets of the Indigo Tribe, which uh, then Third Army, then First Lantern, then Lights Out. It's all been big cosmic stuff with him for quite a while and where he's where he's leading the core. So he means how. I hope he does have some stories, some Earth stories ahead. Taking Carol out of the picture does make it one less reason to have him on Earth, but hopefully there will be other reasons to have him back from time to time. Be it maybe rejoining the League, his friendship with Barry, or maybe even some post-Forever Evil need in Coast City. Not to mention that, spoiler, Sinestro Dash Parallax just showed up in Forever Evil, fighting Power Ring. Two reasons alone that Hal should come back to Earth. I mean, should come back for Earth stuff, excuse me. Currently, at least in the Forever Evil and Justice League title so far, there is no official Green Lantern on the Justice League. And Baz is on the JLA. Whether Lemire keeps Baz on after Forever Evil when it becomes JLA Canada remains to be seen. Also, let's not forget that snippet from Green Lantern 20 where it says Bad helps train some new female Green Lantern after the death of the Justice League in Forever Evil. So far, Forever Evil has had the evil powering, but no Green Lanterns have been mentioned or made an appearance. No Hal, John, Guy, Kyle, or Baz. So it's still unclear when Forever Evil takes place relative to Lights Out and post-Lights Out. And with Sinestro returning in Forever Evil, we have got to have a Hal presence somewhere in that story. If DC has a big Sinestro plot with no Hal presence at all, since their lives and stories are so historically intertwined, that would be a major disappointment to me. Anyhow, again, enjoying the show, guys. Thanks again for coming back. You're welcome. So, <laughs> that was a pretty good email. Yeah, I liked it. Um... Yeah, he's got some points. I mean, no matter what we get upset about, it's it's true. You know, he he's right. It's Superman may not be with Lois, Hal may not be with Carol, but it's gonna happen eventually. You know that I, that I can see that, but at the same time, Superman being with Lois, I mean, being with uh, Wonder Woman, kind of makes sense, and there has been hints and a precedent set for it before hal and kyle i mean hal and kyle that, that would be even that'd be even more out of left field <laughs> kyle thanks for bringing me back bro 
<laughs> Kyle and Carol is just way out of left field. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it is. That I mean, that's just out of nowhere. Um, so I'm not saying it can't happen. I can't. I'm not saying that if it happens, it won't be good. I'm just saying, from what I know thus far, it makes no sense. Now, can the can the creators make it make sense? Sure. Go ahead, give it a shot. And if it, if it works, then fine, it works. We have a cool story to work with for a little while. But at the same time. Again, this this whole tangent thing. Um, at the same time, you're saying Kyle and Carol are going to get together. Are you going to spend any time with them as a couple? Are you going to show me that, or are you going to throw Kyle and the Guardians and Carol into the big uh, a big f and mess situation again, to where they have to deal with something and nothing gets worked out? You know, if you're going to spend the time to tell me. Kyle and Carol are, gonna, are a couple now for at least a little while. Then show me why and show me how it works. <laughs> That's all I want to know. But, like I said, I've been going on forever about that. And it's nice to know that he shared some of my sentiments. <laughs> it's nice to be vindicated immediately by listener feedback. So, so he's going to appreciate your rant even more. That's right. Uh, um... Was there anything in there that you wanted to comment on? I had actually... I had replied to him originally. Um, and when I replied to him, I just... It, all I said was that I'm... I was sure that Al and Carol will work itself out and, and we'll touch on the Kyle Carroll thing in the New Guardian reviews, you know, which is up now. Um, it doesn't seem like we'll be getting to too many... It doesn't seem like we'll be getting too many Earth Adventures of the Green Lanterns anytime soon based on the current story arcs, but we all know that will change at some point. Uh, looking forward to Sinestro versus Power Ring and Forever Evil. That should be fun to watch. It does seem that there is a plan for Sinestro, at least long-term. Hey, I got that one right, too. Uh, back in the in Green Lantern books and also related to Sorenic, and Sorenic actually is supposed to be a relatively big factor at some point in the Sinestro ongoing. And plus, I mentioned that Soto Miata is apparently being taken at a taken at a mothball soon. And then I just thanked him for writing and like, writing us, and then we would be de- acknowledging his email, which we just did very soon. <laughs> yeah, um, a lot of people seem to be responding well to the new uh, the new uh, the quote unquote new issue reviews. Um, I mean, not a lot of people, um, but the people who have responded seem to be responding positively. Um, so yeah, we know you guys have missed it, so we brought it back at this point. As we record this, uh, our reviews of Green Lantern, Green Lantern Corps, and Green Lantern New Guardians should all be up, uh, the 21 through 23s. Um, as we record this, uh, Red Lanterns will be going up next week, um, and then, uh, like I said, we'd be getting back to it. Um, next episode. Uh, since this was just four issues and they were all just one shots and we lasted this long, uh, we're not we're still gonna do lights out in a single uh, a, a single swoop um, in a single episode. But what I'm thinking, since it's five issues and this one was just four and we're almost three hours, uh, give or take a few. What do you think, Mark? And uh, you know, talk about it live on air for all I care about. Um, what do you think about uh, rather than doing an issue by issue breakdown, we treat all five issues of Lights Out like we're reviewing a trade and not an issue? 
Like, rather than doing review, comment, review, comment, review, comment, just review everything and then comment on the story as a whole and certain bits here and there if we want to, whatever it may be. So we'd still break it up as in who is going to do what part, but then we would just review it and discuss it all at the same time? Right. At the end? Yeah, that's fine. Okay. Yeah. I think that might work better. I think that'll help save us some time a little bit so you guys aren't don't have to you know keep your earphones in for an extended period of time. Um, and then uh, at the end, we'll, uh, we'll do all the listener feedback that we missed uh, in this episode. Uh, probably do some list names rather than you know saying everything that everybody said. Um, that might make the episode a little longer, but like I said, guys, listener feedback is at the end for a reason. If you only listen so you can hear just the reviews and then move on, I mean, we'd like you to listen to the whole episode so you can hear what yourself and other fans are, are contributing to our show. Um, but if you'd rather not hear that, and I know there are some people who no matter what don't want to hear that type of stuff, that's it's at the end for that reason, so that once we get to listener feedback – you can just you know skip to the rest of it and wait for the next podcast to come out. Um, so uh, yeah, we'll just do it that way then. Um, and uh, I'm rambling and I'm tired and oh um, I don't know if I'd said it on the air. I had lost my job at the uh, the the middle to end of December and um, I already have a new one, so no no worries there. Nobody needs to freak out or send me condolences or whatever it may be. Um, I've got a job doing the same thing, roughly, but in person and at a dealership this time. And uh, I'm getting double, if not triple, the money I was getting before. So once I once I uh, get this 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 new job pays monthly <laughs> rather than biweekly. I've never had a monthly job. Uh, a monthly payment type of a job before. Um, but because of the gap, it was a little less than a month between jobs. So there's a little bit of gap in my finances. So if the recording schedule is thrown off, if the posting schedule is thrown off a little bit, guys, I do apologize, but it will be resolved soon once I settle into my new schedule and, you know, new payment process and, you know, my new quote-unquote lifestyle. Because, as we record this, I've worked now six days in a row for almost ten hours a day, and that's new to me. Um, it, it, I'm not. I'm kind of. I'm. I'm a little, as you can probably tell from all the stumbling I'm doing right now, I'm a little exhausted both physically and mentally. Um, it's not that the job is hard. Like thus far, I haven't. It's only been a week, but thus far, I haven't had a day where I'm like. Oh God, is it time to go home yet? Type of a thing. So that's a good sign. Uh, and uh, you know, just uh, just trying to get settled into a, a new routine. So if there's any sort of lapse uh, in the posting schedule, if anything's going wrong, I do apologize. I take responsibility for that. Uh, but we'll get it situated as soon as possible. Uh, it shouldn't take long at all. So if there is a lapse, it won't be there long, guys. <sighs> talked a lot this episode mark you got anything going on in your no, life you want to talk about not at this not after three hours no <laughs> <laughs> oh shit yeah it's almost one over there isn't it well not because it's late for me i mean it's just that i'm thinking of the people listening that three hours already already is going to be asked a lot of people yeah 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 all right you should probably do the closing then <laughs> sorry guys <laughs>
All righty then. If you'd like to contact us, you can email yeah, email us at lanterncast at gmail.com. That's lanterncast at gmail.com. You can visit our website, lanterncast.com, and through there you can access our forums besides checking out our galleries and products of the week, or the month, I should say, and other things. You can follow us on Twitter. Uh, use hashtag GLCast and like us on Facebook. We are on iTunes and Stitcher. And if you like us on iTunes, please leave, please leave a positive review. Last but not least, if you'd like to leave us a voicemail, call us at 708-LANTERN and let us know what you think. Yeah, and I'll just add one quick thing to that. And uh, I know we're already at the mark, but just one really quick thing. Uh, if you want, uh, I think it'd be interesting if we could figure out how you guys listen to us. So if you want to send us an email or get us on, hit us up on Facebook or something, are you listening to us on Stitcher or are you listening to us on iTunes? Are you just going to the website and hitting play? Are you downloading the episodes directly from the, uh, the, the website and then listening to them some other way? How are you listening to us? I'm really, I'm, I'm honestly just curious. Um, so if you want, if you got a quick second, shoot us a, a message uh, gmail.com or on Facebook or Twitter. Just tell us how you're listening to us. I'm, I'm curious to see who's listening where. I think that'd be some cool information to have. Yes, it would. All right, guys. Uh, sorry for the lengthy episode, and uh, we'll be uh, back next week with Lights Out. Sounds good. Good night, everybody. Good night.